0: This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we continue our journey through the year of canon as we go for a stroll and get some ice cream and Bronson a Giggler. And then we'll also talk about 1985's Death Wish 3.
1: Two kids looking for a new thrill. Steve. He is the most feared and powerful warrior. And Paul. A strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and just how to get it. But this time, the thrill went too far. Their target, Canon Films, the home of high-powered, high-voltage, motion picture entertainment. With the screen's biggest spectacles brightest stars and boldest lineup of explosive entertainment we're taking motion picture excitement over the edge and your box office over the top all, the to over the we're Cannon films and we're dynamite
2: And again, it's year of the cannon, and uh, year year of the cannon. It just feels like we're going to just do topics that are involving cannons and like artillery. It's like
0: it's the year of the musket. To be fair,
2: that's that's pretty apropos
0: for this film, though.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's the year of every single weapon you can grab, and yeah. and, and, and and some things aren't weapons. So, all right, yeah. Uh, this is invasion of the podcast. I am Paul, and Steve's to my left as usual.
0: Hello, everyone, and
2: we have a guest on the show. Howdy. Yeah, so our friend Rich—he's a friend of the show, friend in real life—and always Aww. brings us weird uh, stuff to watch. And I think he's the one that introduced me to the joys of Neil Breen, and then I brought the Breen. To well, that Steve. was a, that was a two
3: way street because we both went to the the thing where it was it was free. Did we?
2: Uh, well, no, we did like Fateful Findings. Did we watch that separate from each other? Or did like, I, I, don't thought, know you... I thought we both went to the same free show at?
3: I or, the... or the free show before that was was a tra- had a trailer for it. We're both maybe, like crazy. Maybe about. that's what it was. Okay, I
2: yeah. thought you'd come to the the altar of Breen before I had. Maybe okay. So it was about the I, same time. Yeah, about the same. So yeah, we we have a mutual love of Neil Breen and his films and uh, all the research he's done and the books he'll throw. Uh, and then I, then I, then we brought Steve into the fold, so...
0: Yes, I had my first Breen experience this <laughs> earlier this year.
2: And you still have not seen other Breen films? No, other I than, haven't. Yeah. So you're I still... haven't
0: gone on his website and tried to order things, so I need to do that. Well,
2: you might know people that have the other, other copies of his films, so... That's fair. Um, that's... We're not talking about Neil Breen, which I feel like that's something that that's could happen. That's a whole other episode, <laughs> and I'd be totally in with that. Uh, an Asian guy that puts, like, attractive women around him, and, you know, he's the best at what he does. Has no correlation to None. this film whatsoever. Uh, yeah, we're talking about uh, Death Wish 3, um, which, obviously, it's a canon film, because it's a year of the canon. Year of canon. Um, I will say I feel this is an appropriate conversation now that John Wick 3 is in the theater, where you have... And I'm not comparing Keanu Reeves and Charles Bronson together in terms of like their career trajectory, but Keanu Reeves is not not on the backside of his career. But he, you know, he had a downtime, and now he's like, you know, people want, like people will go see his films again. There was a period there where he wasn't drawing as much. Yeah, where he was just basically a joke to everybody our age. I mean, for a good decade, I think. Yeah, but so, the
0: thing is, is that like it. I feel like his his career does that. Like it. He started off, you know, with obviously the Bill and Ted series, and then, you know, he was cast in Dracula, and, uh, you know, there was speed, and like, I feel like he kind of fell point off the break
2: br- let's not forget point break Point break. yeah yeah in the lake house he fell off of the
0: <laughs> map a little bit uh and then the matrix brought him back out mm-hmm. and then he fell off the map again and now john wicks he's he's having like another resurgence so it's like this weird thing where like every five years he gets a resurgence or maybe it's even 10 but
2: yeah but i mean still he's he's an older action actor with the third chapter of a film and again the john wicks series is not death wish uh, cause it, what it is, it was established in the first film. It didn't go completely like, you know, like it'd be like if John wick three was him just settling down and it was just him tending like a garden for the whole film. We'd be like, Whoa, no one saw that coming. Yeah. That's like the inverse of death wish three where it's like, yeah, you know, that guy's been through some stuff. Oh, now it's getting crazy. Like I feel like right. the John wick would be, you know, you know what? I am a candle maker now. I'm John wick. So, like,
3: between John Wick and uh, all the Liam Neeson movies, we're kind of in a renaissance of, uh, of Men Too Old to Be in action films being in great action films.
2: That, that's Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so I feel like this is kind of appropriate to, to get into this. So, uh, when I reached out to my friends and said, hey, would you like to talk, talk about some canon films? You picked Death Wish 3, Rich, so why did you pick this film? Um,
3: well, I picked that and um, Invasion USA, which, for some reason, whenever I think of canon... Those are the first two films that always come to my head. Now, anybody who's like our age has seen Canon films whether they know it or not and like a bunch of Canon films whether they know it or not from, you know, Cyborg to Missing in Action to Delta Force. And I don't know, this this one is almost like the the platonic ideal of, of <laughs> it, I don't want to sound too snooty about it, but it's of a of a Canon film where it's just they don't leave anything behind. They they do everything they set out to do yeah, and, and it, more and they don't care who likes it or not. I mean they do, they they've always wanted to, to make money and, and be regarded as a as a good filmmaking group, but at the same time there's just this level of schlock that they always do that's just
2: you which know, which is funny because caps them. Menachem Golan keeps, he, he specifically would say that we're not just making schlock, but it's like, no. Right, that's everything you, you've, you've, done. you've made. That's all, that's that's your, you know, stock and trade is schlock. And, right. Yeah. Um, but you're right. This is kind of like a crystallization of everything we've seen so far in terms of just like, just keep gutting out that plot. Let's just get set piece, set piece, and a known actor. Right. And, you yeah. know, if
3: I had, if, if i had waited and thought about it for a day or two which you know i kind of did cuz you had the wrong number for me at first <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah and the
2: person i texted
3: uh they they're picking some weird films <laughs> <laughs> i could have came up with you know like you know some different ones like masters of the universe or superman 4 you know films that i like i watched a lot more at that age yeah. but i don't even think of those as in the same way as i think of of these ones when i think canon films
2: that, that's fair i think i uh When I think of canon, I think more of just straight action. Like, I mean, I know Master Universe was kind of like... The last that, gasp, yeah, getting there, right? And I and, and I've been reading this book, and I'm, I'm gonna have a quote from it later about this film. Uh, this this book that was released in the 80s called Hollywood A Go Go by Andrew Andrew Yule, uh, which I've quoted before when we do these episodes. And you get this notion that like Gola and Globus, they all they wanted to do was get they wanted to have that big box office success one to cover their asses because of all the losses they keep making with other films. But also they kept striving for this like legitimacy. And even if they had like invasion USA was number one, the weekend it came out. It turns out that the, the, the gentleman who did the, this book here did some kind of math and said, if this film had come out for any other studio and based upon how they recoup their cost invasion, USA would have lost money by a fair amount. You, you can't know for sure how Canon did their books, but they're like, Oh, it was the number one right. film that weekend. And it's like, yeah, probably still lost your money, you know? So like, even though they'll rule the box office for a weekend, you don't know like at what cost. And with something like death wish, Where we're going to talk about the history of the franchise a little bit here in a second, you can see how like this, them picking up something that was already made before and picking up the wrong lessons from it, and moving forward and going in such a tone deaf direction seems perfectly in line with them because they're like, no, people like this. They paid a lot of money the first time. They'll pay way more money for this. You know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The
3: the thing that's weird is they. They never really seem to think about secondary market that much or, or VHS that much from what what I've seen and read of them. Yeah. But for people our age, how many Cannon films did you see in the theater? I saw two Masters of the Universe and Superman 4.
2: <laughs> I, I don't recall, actually. Right.
3: Uh, Everything else is home video. We've said it, you know, read about yeah. a thousand times. Um, well, I mean,
0: I saw Over the Top in the theater, uh, I saw Superman 4 and Masters of the Universe in the theater. Um,
2: and lemon popsicle. <laughs>
0: yes, lemon popsicle. All three. Isn't yeah. it a trilogy? I believe. I don't know. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, Last American Virgin. you, um, saw, you saw Bolero with right. your parents. <laughs> Ninja Three: you <know>, The Domination. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bolero. Yeah, I. Uh, no, I did not see that in the theater. Uh, I'm trying to think. Have, have, I, you, have you seen it at all? No, I know I have. I have not, not seen, seen Bolero, it. No. No. Um, uh, I think I think I top out at three now. Yeah, at I this point we're it. all
3: just naming movies that we've well, seen now, in the, uh, the documentary. <laughs> I had one more right, yeah. over the top.
0: Oh, well, technically Cobra. I saw that in the theater right, as well. Okay. So yeah. four.
3: Yeah, I didn't I didn't think I, I always forget Cobra's a canon. Yeah, yeah,
2: which I mean we're gonna cover that this year, right. so we'll get more into the history of that where I just found out like that can, that one's a little weird in the sense of like Canon's involvement in it, you know. And uh they're they're searching for money and what deals they made just to get immediate money up front. How they uh, how Cobra kind of came to be, so right. that'll be fun when we get there. Uh, yeah. But but and you're right though. In terms and the of the other thing
3: about you know where where Death Wish three sits is the studio you know started in like the late '70s and they wanted to try to get that you know '70s gritty feel for their action movies, but then they were running into like the mid '80s where everything's just you know cheesy and over the top, and and where those two things collide between, like, you know, the French connection and Schwarzenegger and Commando, Commando yeah. that's canon. Yeah. That's where it is.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, as much as I feel like, from what I know, from what I've been reading of uh, Mr. Benachem uh, Golan, uh, he, you get the idea that, like, he loves movies and loves, like, cinema so much that he, he you also get the idea in his head that, like, he thinks he knows... Right. like what is ideal and like what will like like strike true and what will be the thing and there's these other prestige films that they started making at this time too like Othello there's a couple other things that they had. he he gave like uh talented filmmakers the ability to make these smaller art house films because right. he wanted his whole goal was if he can get like an Oscar that would somehow make canon like legitimate. and right. even those films like may have been received critically but it almost feels like the moment canon the name was involved no one took them seriously and so then you get this this thing, uh, Death Wish 3, um, where you have an actor who, I mean, I, I love Charles Bronson. We've talked about him on the show before, 10 to Midnight. I've talked about him on the Twilight Zone. Like, he's great. Like I, I, But you could also tell that, like, you know, he is a known commodity. People will go see a Bronson film. Whether or not he wants to show up for it, that's, I guess, something we could talk about with this film. <laughs> Like I, I can see their point of like, oh, people have paid a lot of money for Bronson films. We're going to lock them up into a deal and this will bring people in. And the original Death Wish did pretty well commercially, not critically, you know, and yeah, I, I just I could feel like this was supposed to be their way of kind of shoring up the rest of the bets they kept making for that year. And it didn't quite work out that way either. So anyway, Kind of a stupid uh, rant going on with no, all this, that, but it makes perfect sense. Uh, that's good. That's the first <laughs> time on this show. Uh, so let's just talk about. So we'll just establish. Obviously, Rich, you've seen the Death Witch movies, most of them. Uh, uh, and, and yeah, the, except for the remake. Yeah, uh, which we've uh, not seen. I've not seen the remake. Um, I,
0: I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, it's it's not a great. So I, I don't think it's a very good. Deathwish movie it kind of fails in that arena and then as just being a contemporary take on it 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 doesn't do very well there either so I should have let
3: you guys I should have brought um Death sentence with uh, Kevin. Oh, Bacon I haven't seen that. That, I but that seen was supposed it. to be like that. Was really really good.
2: I it's, really well because the one of the directors from Saw made that, and I kind of right. was immediately like, nope. And <laughs> so I, maybe that's on me. Like I, at the time, like, no, it it's out. on everybody. Yeah. Everybody had the same reaction yeah. to it because it also <laughs> had the same color palette. It was like a Saw film too. Yeah, it's it all kinda, blue and yeah. gray. So, right. but but Death Sentence was the actual like there was a sequel to the original novel written by. Right. Uh, the author. I'd Brian of, Garfield. Yes, there you go. Uh, by Garfield the Cat. Uh, he <laughs> he, hate, he hates Mondays. And, and rape. Crooks. <laughs> 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 he loves lasagna and six shooters. No, um, so I have not seen Death Sentence. So this is my first time watching any Death Wish film. Steve, you've seen a couple of these before. Yes. Um,
3: and really, these, the Death Wish movies are the only things I associate with Charles Bronson. I haven't seen most of his uh, westerns. I haven't seen Ten to Midnight, which Paul, you keep wretching to me, and I just kind of like hide a little bit. You like, should watch Ten Midnight; it's a lot of fun. Definitely yeah. should.
2: There's but... a Dick Machine in it. I don't know. <laughs> well, I've <I'm> sold. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, Ten Midnight's it's an interesting film, not the greatest film, but it's interesting. We obviously almost talked about it for like two hours, I think. Yeah. Uh, previously, but and, but Bronson though, like uh, it, it, I know you said you've not seen a lot of his westerns, like The Magnificent Seven. I mean, I obviously have yeah. seen that. Yeah, he's good in that. Right. Um, Once Upon a Time in the West, really yeah, good, good in that. Uh, I watched uh what was the name of the um the one there's another western I watched for a year the western with him in it and it's like you could tell he actually kind of was paying attention and being in it. Right. Uh yeah, I well, think even
3: going back to the original Death Wish that was the part in the movie where he felt the most awake was yeah. in that uh, western town segment.
2: That's true. Yeah. He's like, uh, "Oh, this is where I belong." This is yeah. So with 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 these films, the original Death Wish came out like the what was it 77 or 74? Four. 74 it was based off a novel that came out like 2 years previous and it was about a guy uh that you know was supposed to be like this liberal like bleeding heart type guy that he's been confronted with the realities of crime in like New York and then he decides to start taking the law in his own hands um a lot of people like that film i didn't mind it i thought it was okay yeah it's it's good um it's interesting seeing bronson in this though because he purposely was telling everybody's like cuz the in the book the main character was uh, a, a accountant yes and in the war he was in the, like he worked in like the office pool. So they had to keep like finding ways to make it more manly for him. And he's like, I can't be an accountant. No one's going to believe that I'm an accountant. So they made him an architect, which I didn't know that's a more manly profession as an architect. I mean, uh, yeah,
3: you're measuring things as rulers, yeah. you know,
2: um, but whatever. So it was just funny that they had to change some of these elements to make Bronson feel more comfortable. Cause he even said at the time, he felt like this is a film that Dustin Hoffman should have made. Right. Which, I mean, if you've seen straw dogs, um, you could kind of get that vibe from that, which Steve, I don't know if you've seen Straw Dogs or yes, not. Yes, I've seen Straw okay. Dogs. Okay, I don't know. I just if it was a horror no, movie. I, I don't didn't. know. I just just want to like ask no, the question.
0: I was, but yeah, it's it's just like this, answering. I wasn't. This, I wasn't being this last
3: time, I've <laughs> <have you> seen <laughs> Ishtar. No, I just don't know. Um, <laughs> this last time, I was watching the first Death Wish for for the show to get ready, and I I, I had Brian Garfield in the back of my head, even though I haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I knew that he wasn't happy with Death Wish. <laughs> yeah, and um. It, it It occurred to me that you know, even like you said, Charles Bronson was saying, you know oh Dustin Hoffman should be playing this it It reminded me of the shining where Stephen King's like this this person's crazy the whole time, you know? yeah, yeah, and that's the same thing with you know, Charles Bronson playing Paul Kersey. He kind of sold him being an architect for like a minute, <laughs> but I was waiting for him to <laughs> haul off and punch somebody. Yeah.
2: From the first frame. Paul, uh, this building you've designed is a gun. Like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's going to shoot all the the ruffians out in the street. Yeah, I mean, so the first one actually had a little, they tried to do something, and I kind of appreciated it. It was a solid 70s, gritty crime movie. There's a bit, though, when he, like, first shoots somebody, he ends up in his apartment on his knees, and, like, you know, he's just, like, hyperventilating. He ends up going to throw up because he's disgusted at what he did. And then he goes out, like, you know, purposely searching for things to go do and to go mess up people. And it's like, okay, like, I can see that he's, like, you know, quarreling with this.
3: Right, he's trying to work his way through his emotions in the wrong way.
2: Yeah, and then the second film, they just pick up in L.A. and he's just like, yeah, I'm good now. My daughter's kind of messed up from the first one, but whatever. And I have a new, younger uh, English wife that's kind of sorry love interest who's his real wife? wife and then he goes to buy ice cream and some guys interrupt him and then they end up like grabbing his wallet and going back to his house and raping his maid and then uh like what was it stealing the daughter and then causing her to kill herself right. like well they they raped her a couple yeah times but too. yeah I, yeah and she yeah that was bad if there's really. if there's
3: anything that's the through line of the series up till now it's, 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 it's everybody gets raped everybody yeah
2: uh and so that's
3: unfortunate
2: (laughs) and that time he ends up hunting down everybody and specifically because the first film the people that did the things were never caught uh and then it's like oh okay well that's kind of where we're at now is that he was like i'm done being a vigilante until right now and then he picks it up again and this one the third film uh which i don't know if you guys have any more information about the first two uh i just i don't know i just feel like i've got i've got a
3: quote that i'd like to uh, just uh hold on i gotta when, when uh, Brian Garfield was talking about the first one, he said, you know, um, it, it came to him because um, his wife was mugged. Mm-hmm. And then another time he was coming out of a party and somebody had slashed like the roof of his car to steal something inside. Mm-hmm. And it was just like he said, you know, I knew the Vandal had done us no real harm. Yet my first response to the discovery of this mindless violence was swift and stark. My boundaries had been violated. My property trespassed upon. He had no right. I'll kill the son of a bitch. And it was him like struggling with, you know, that's the response to just like the stupid, you know, at the end of the day, harmless, you know, bit of relatively. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. um, And how he was trying to, you know, work out that inside of himself.
2: No, that that makes sense. Like, and I know he ended up writing death sentences as kind of like a, uh, like a response to the success of the Death Wish films because it wasn't exactly in the tone that he wanted uh, so he feels like they missed the point, you know, and I, I can understand that, you know. Um, so with this film, with Death Wish three, uh, which we should also mention, Canon did produce the second Death Wish film. Uh, it was pretty much a retread of the first. Like after me watching it, it was like, oh, he's in yeah, LA but they now.
3: somehow managed to get further away from the point. Yeah, because he only went after the people who went out.
2: That's true. He harmed him. He skipped all the other crime yeah, going he, on. He,
3: he let drug dealers go. He let pimps go. He didn't give a shit about anything <laughs> except <Yeah. laughs> for the five people
2: who who went. At, went Harmed him. Yeah. Uh, uh, Larry Fishburne and the boys. You know, like they... Uh, right. Yeah. So uh, so this we should then talk about Death Wish 3 proper. Before we do this, this is the thing that... Uh, I was funny before we recording. I was like, let me know before we get 20 minutes in. I should play the trailer Oh, God, the, the trailer. Yeah. We're almost at 20 minutes.
0: <laughs> so I was going to say something, right? but you guys were both making great points, okay. and I didn't want to butt in. So. Oh, Steve, you're here. Thanks for you like, <laughs>
2: All right, so let's just play the Death Wish 3 trailer and hear, uh, oh, what's the name of the voiceover guy for this? It's the voiceover guy for everything at that time. It was like Don know, something, right? Anyway, know. this trailer makes me want to watch this movie and watch this movie. Maybe not Death Wish 3, but this film. That we're about to <laughs> Whatever catch. movie he's talking about. Yeah.
1: New York, a city pushed to the edge. People pushed to the limit, and no one's got the guts to stop them. It's collection time, Charlie. Three murders, four rapes, nine acts of random violence. This isn't a neighborhood. It's a war. But there is one way. One man who won't be pushed. Charles Bronson.
4: What's the problem? Now you're gonna die.
1: It'll be just like before, Mr. Vigilante. With one important difference, you're gonna work for me. People have got to start to fight back and hard. I sent them a message. That's him. I'll take care of him. And now, he's in the middle of a war. See what you've done? You got me mad. In a world gone mad, there is only one law. His. Charles Bronson. Death Wish 3. Bronson's back in New York. Bringing justice to the streets. Charles Bronson, Death Wish 3.
0: I'd just like to point out that all that gunfire that you heard in the last, like, I don't know, 20 seconds of the trailer was provided by Michael Winslow of the Police Academy films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So.
2: pretty much. Now, I <laughs> I, I also like uh, the, the temp score they put in for that trailer. That was way cooler than the music of the yeah. film. And then the, the, that weird whoa noise that was going on in the background. If you see the trailer, it's like this digitized, like scanning, like, you know, it's like this like future font type thing going on. Right. It's like, this is not that movie. Like, I don't understand why that they... They they sold you something that wasn't happening. Yeah, it's
3: like you got Escape from New York in my in yeah, my Bronson film,
2: which that's that, really the film. <laughs> yeah, wasn't Bronson actually kind of wasn't he one of the guys mentioned possibly for Escape from New York at the time? For, I believe that's yeah.
3: true, one hundred percent. I
2: think that I mean that's the I'll film I want to see, though. Yeah, I, that would be amazing. If so, it wasn't, it should have been. So so, Rich, what is what is our jumping off point here with uh, Death Wish three? What where are we at story wise, and what is the the general plot before we get into the deta- the actual details?
3: Okay, so. Uh, Paul Kersey is uh, coming to New York to visit an old war buddy of his who called him and said, "Oh my God, I'm 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 so scared of these these gangs in my town. I don't know if he sounded that effeminate on the phone.
4: <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I know I would
3: have if I was trying to get Paul Kersey to come to my aid, but uh, that's. And then by the time he's on the bus into the city, uh, the, the gang has killed them, and uh, the gang is like, um, if you took Mad Max and the Warriors and uh, just kind of threw them together. Mm -hmm. uh, Gave them a couple days to work with the cast of fame. (laughs) And (laughs) set them out to go.
2: I wish there was a dance fight going on here. I I I felt like there should have been.
0: I like to think of them as um, the gang members who didn't make the cut for Bobcat Goldthwait's Zed character. You know, it was funny uh, because when I was watching it today,
3: I was really thinking on the other side of the block, it's, it's Police Academy 2. And right in the middle <laughs> is Batteries Not Included.
2: Yeah. So, but when you say that, like, he was coming to New York to help a friend out, this literally happens and like, the opening credits. During the credits. credits. Yeah. It's like you just see Paul Kersey on a bus, which, by the way, like, you do the background of this in the first film the police find out that he's doing all this vigilante stuff, but because of his efforts, crime has gone down. So like, you know, we don't want to arrest him and put him in front, like make him the face of this because he's going to be a martyr. And then the criminals know it will be okay to be back on the streets. So we're just basically just saying, Hey, get out of town and we're good. So then he goes to LA. Why starts, didn't they
3: just come out and say Batman was there? Right. You know, let's <laughs> like,
2: do it. Right? Yeah. Like there's, a, there's a new guy in town name's Frank Castle. Don't mess with him. Um, so then he goes to L.A. and then like you know he's like living the life and then he starts doing it again. But then someone out there is like, he reminds me of a vigilante that, <laughs> that I know. And then
3: because he looks exactly like this vigilante with four or five facelifts
2: and the same name, you yeah. know, like weird. No, no, uh, he, he had a different name at that point. He what, was a Paul Kimble, Kimble, Kimble in this yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, I thought he for gave two that, minutes. Okay, I thought he gave that as like a, a fake name. At but again, that. when
3: you look like Charles Bronson with four facelifts, <laughs> it's not yeah. hard, not hard to tell you are. So
2: then he starts doing that out there, and then at the end of the second movie, it's implied that he's just going to keep vigilating it up, you know, and. Uh, and so this one, there's he's supposed to be like never allowed in New York again. So he's right. like, you know what? I'm going to ride a bus. I'm just coming to Well, New he
3: York. He, he knew the, uh, the detective who told him never to come back to New York had died in the second one. So he figured it was safe, you know. That's true. Statute so, of limitations. Statute
2: of limitations. But there
3: was, there was a point where he was talking to the police chief where they mentioned all these other killings in the interim. Yeah. Like he was going around just the country just, you know. Living it up. I, I think they mentioned like I want to say Kansas Chicago, City or something, Kansas City, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I just, know Chicago was in there.
2: Well, because at the end of the first film, he ends up in Chicago right. and he does the whole finger gun at and they, like the troubled people. Right, and they
3: know? and they basically insinuated that he was an assassin, like because they said, "Oh, you went pro after after yes. Los Angeles." Yeah. And Either I, that or he was drafted to the major leagues. I'm not sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But he just shows up on this bus. And as he's like riding into New York, like his buddy just gets like, you know, gets murdered in his apartment. And so uh, we we learn that wherever these people are living in this one corner of New York, it is like anti Sesame Street. It, yeah. It, but it's, it's even worse than like the Bronx Warriors. It's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's just. It is like a very localized. Armageddon
3: happened. Yeah, there's like within two blocks, bricks like just crumbling bricks <laughs> like on the street. So, like somebody like, from North Korea had a suitcase bomb and just yeah. came in, and it became I don't know Fallout Seven. Yeah, it, it,
2: just, it like the over the top of how bombed out and ridiculous this was. It was it just it was it blew my mind at how extreme this was. Maybe that's the thing that actually happened. I don't know. Um, but I, I made a joke in here about how, like, oh, he just went to Detroit. Is what I right. said.
3: <laughs> <laughs> And I grew up think I'd grown up thinking all major cities looked like that because of movies like this.
2: Yeah, and it just, um, and so while, while watching this, I'll put the note here. Crime just seems to happen all the time. Like it Yeah, twenty four seven. <laughs> like so okay so we have that that's our major setup so let's just get into this so we have michael winner is the director of this again which i just kind of was reading about his career like he'd have some ups and downs but he and bronson worked well together i think it's just because of their they didn't give a shit and their efficiency i think that was two things that like chimed in well for bronson
0: oh i'm sorry i was i <laughs> this is very unprofessional i was stifling a yawn oh. so i'm sorry <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, if Bronson can't
2: keep you awake, yeah. I'm not sure there's any help. I, I'm pretty sure that Bronson wasn't awake for part of this. Uh, but we have Charles Bronson as Paul Kersey, Deborah Raffin as Catherine Davis, the public defender that is very much wanting to be harsh on crime. And a harsh is it, on his groin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just, that love story comes out of nowhere. Weird, one. yeah. That well, is it, the most unprofessional thing I've seen in any of these movies, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it's very odd that,
0: uh, you know, she thinks that he was wrongly arrested and and will go to the length of, like, trying to get him to press charges. Uh, but then, like suddenly, well, I just came out here really to ask you out for a date, and it's like, yeah. wait, what? That's, yeah, that's the. And it's not thing. even
3: out to a date; it's to come back to my house it's, so I can cook you chicken. Yes, and I'm not going to tell you what kind of chicken it's I'm making. Be chicken <laughs> a, it's going chicken, it's be just chicken. chicken and can. It's chicken in a can. It's canned chicken, is what we found out. Um,
2: do you have? Do you have the
3: can? Can we hear the? Can no, hear the Steve can? has no,
2: the can. I, I oh.
0: hold the can. It's proudly on my shelf. Keeper of the in can. Office.
2: The, the glurp is there. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we have Ed Lauder as Richard Schreiker, who is like the head of the police, that he brings in Kersey and was like, I know who you are. We've been paying attention. And so that, that's the one thing, too, about this, that... Is uh, you get this idea before the police were kind of like we're aware of you, but we you know we want you to stop. He's like you know this whole area is so bad you could do what you want, but just report to me. That's mm-hmm. such an eighties idea. Of oh like, yeah. yeah,
3: and he says he was you know on the scene when they got him the first time. So I'd like to think that he was actually Christopher Guest.
2: Yeah, is that the one that was <laughs> that like, was the oh, policeman from uh, when they caught I him? I wonder what I wonder where he was in that film because I saw the name, but he's the one. who's like yeah, we caught him. Right, and then he's like you he's didn't the one who gave this. him the gun to throw in the river yeah, at the end. Okay, that makes sense.
3: Uh, that joke was. Too obscure. I apologize. No, 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 no. I wonder.
2: <laughs> no, because I saw him listening the credits, and I didn't know right. where he was, and he was right in front of me. And I didn't realize it. So then we also have a uh, uh, Martin. But he wasn't
3: saying anything. close up to eleven, or you know, no, he, he sword fighting <laughs> someone. So you, he how he would you chasing,
2: know? He wasn't chasing Ed adner who had a float. Ed Asner, who had a floating house, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, and then we have uh, Martin Basalm who plays Bennett, who is like the next door neighbor. Uh, who I wrote as Ernest Borg eight because I feel like he was not quite Ernest <laughs> Borg nine. Seven and a half, yeah, yeah. Seven, yeah. I just uh,
3: kept on having flashbacks to Mitchell the whole time. I was screen. gonna
2: say that was my. You're, uh, you're, I've not seen Mitchell. I need to. All right, yeah. But the soup is cold. <laughs> you're a terrible butler. <laughs> yeah. No, but I remember Martin Basalm, He was in an episode of The Twilight Zone called The 16 Millimeter Shrine. Oh yeah he, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah that's my first I introduction to him. Yeah. So on. Uh, well, he's also in Psycho. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Yeah, the he's second uh, one? he's Sam Loomis. Yeah. Well, it's been forever since it's a Psycho. So, um and then we have a—he's uh, the one who fell down the stairs very awkwardly. Oh, is that yeah. when he got like the jump attack? Like he's yeah. the one that, like when when uh, the mother comes out and like the immediate jump scares. Yeah, him? and then okay. he just
3: staggers down. He staggers down the stairs really okay. badly. Okay,
2: that's that's still a good shot though. It's that's a good
3: a- shot, but it doesn't work very well <laughs> overall. I mean, yeah. it's just, it is what it is for the time. Yeah. But.
2: Um, Sorry. No, no it's, you don't have to apologize. I just mentioned, I just mentioned the, how I know Martin. Uh, Balsam or Bassam, whatever.
3: Yeah, but at first I was trying to figure out if he was Ernest Borgnine, and then I'm like, it no, looked, it's not. It just,
2: but it also makes me wish that Ernest Borgnine had been in this film. Like, that'd have been just such amazing. When don't day. you hope that, though? That's true, to but just a smile and hold into, like a machine gun. Like, right. That'd have been great. Um, You have uh, Gavin o- 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 Hurley? O'Hurley? Is that how you say his name? O'Hurley. Hurley.
3: He's uh the son of Dan O'Hurley, which was the old man from RoboCop.
2: Oh, that makes he now that I he was see, in, and he was in Superman three. Okay. And uh, uh, Twin Peaks. But now that I see his older picture of himself like, <laughs> I poke him because you haven't seen <laughs> no, I haven't Twin seen Peaks. Twin Peaks. Neither have I. <laughs> All
1: right,
3: <you're>,
2: I'm out. <laughs> yeah. All right, well you know what? We have gotta we gotta play this. I haven't played this in a while. Game over Yeah <laughs> That's that's appropriate. Uh we have uh he's he's Fraker, we'll talk about him more in oh, a second. Oh you know
3: he was also um the uh, the oldest Cunningham son, the one who went upstairs and disappeared. Really? And uh, so I was, I was expecting him in the first act to just disappear into the building, and never come back.
2: <laughs> just walk up the steps yeah. with a basketball, never there. Uh Then we have Kirk Taylor as the giggler, aka Steve. Um, oh wait, that was more of a laugh. Sorry. <laughs> Probably one of the best no-name hoodlums
3: in film history.
2: <laughs> yeah, and then uh, uh, I'm just going to just mention Alex Winter here is Hermosa, and then we have some other people that. I, oh, and also, yeah, because he looks like a Hermosa. Yeah, he looks like a Hermosa. <laughs> Uh, so and then um, uh, a little
0: known the- fact about this, uh, I believe part of the reason he got cast was because this was filmed in London. He was just able to go to London. Like I don't know if he was he born was there working there for, there for the or, summer. Or, yeah, as they said in, yeah. the
2: book. I, in a book that I read, he was writing a history report. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we also have uh, uh, Marina Certis as uh, Maria. Uh, so that's not far off from her name so right. uh just th- th- worthy of mention because she's in a horrible scene in the film um and then i don't know who else is and
0: in she's under a lot of makeup that's true. and they
3: dub her the entire time because oh. they they hired her and they're like oh wait she has a british accent that's why she only speaks like three times and it's dubbed into spanish
2: oh well i mean dubbing in a canon film I'm, i don't really think about it anymore. right because they do all sorts of things so that's your cash. So we have Bronson. You know, he's he's picked up, and I, I don't want to go through the whole film beat for beat, but it's important to mention. So he gets picked up and, and goes to the precinct because he's in the apartment when the police show up because his friend's dead. But he has a gun in his hand, so that's when he meets Shreker when he's downtown, wherever they're at. And he's like, "You're gonna you'll know, be a lone wolf for me." But before he gets in there, he's in processing with all these other prisoners, and they're all they want to do is just fight him. Like, there's no explanation. No, it's just it's uh. just. What does an eight-year-old think happens in prison? Oh, people fight. Yeah, and then and that's when you meet um, that's when you meet uh, a fraker, and he's just like, I never lose. It's like I, I love
3: the guy before that who's like, he uh, Bronson goes to look at the toilet. He's like, oh, I ripped it out, and then he starts fighting <laughs> Bronson. It's like, what are you mad because he had to poop? Yeah, I don't understand.
0: You guys all just turn around right now. I've got to right. I got to go number two. <laughs> There's yeah. still a hole in the ground. You can still make
2: this work. Guys. Yeah. Like I, I've seen, uh, I've seen that movie Gulag. I know what goes on. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it just—it was this weird moment of like I get that they're shortcutting this in these films. I get that like sometimes you're like I don't know how this adds up, but it's like a moment he shows up there in like a, like a, like a suit jacket and a shirt. Everybody just wants to fight him, and right. it, there, there's no explanation. Do for you it. think
3: there's like something un, unspoken about him because he spends so many times putting himself out as bait? That he just kind of exudes that when he goes, like, come at me, bro.
2: I mean, maybe because he was I don't feel broken.
3: like I, he'd ever say, come at me, bro, but, you know, in, in a way.
2: Uh, he, he'd be like, fill your hand. And he's like, well, no, 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 I just broke the toilet. He's like, don't fill your hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh,
3: um, um, I
0: will also say uh, he makes a big point about, like, that he's going to, you know, get Bronson in the end, basically. Yeah. But then he spends the rest of the movie, like, kind of, well, not... Not tailing Bronson, but like he never actually admiring
3: him from afar. Or, yeah, basically. Well, the th- the weird thing about that scene is, you know, the cops are like, keep an eye on him. He's going to do something. And then Fraker or Frakes or whatever his name is Jonathan. John, uh, John the Frakes, the Frakes. Yeah. <laughs> um, is standing right outside the cell going, I'm going to kill you. I'm also going to kill a little old lady
2: tonight. Yeah. Nobody like, no, nobody no, yeah. does anything. No no cops do anything. I, I like that they uh, they show that he has enough money to have a lawyer, and the lawyer's like, well, I have to keep you here. He's like, for two more hours with these guys? It's like, yeah. but this is your element. And we but then the he rest- looks at
3: the camera on the wall and changes his mind about how he's reacting, and I'm like, I don't understand no, why that, this is yeah. happening.
2: I, I, I keep calling him Jake Busey from this point on, <laughs> on in the film. Um, you know, I can see that. I wrote I wrote Jake Busey always wins. <laughs> but you mentioned his hairdo. It's like of all, like you get this whole like 80s like theme gang thing going on where everybody has to, they have this uh, weird head paint where it is like a equal not equal sign, sign, not equal sign. Right. With like. But he takes his head and it does a reverse mohawk. It's literally right, a reverse He shaves mohawk. the
3: middle of his head and does a red line all the way across his I, scalp. I don't, I don't know why. You know why? Because a sci-fi person wrote the damn script. Oh, okay. Um, so, they, so please enlighten me. They got the guy who wrote uh, the
2: script for Life Force and Invaders from Mars.
3: Oh. Two other canon classics. Well, um, but
2: both of those, uh, uh, Life Force, they did partnered up with Tristar. And it was like one of two films that they partnered up with Tristar, and Tristar's like, we're done.
3: Like- right, right. <laughs> um, they got him to do the script for part three. So I think his head was still kind of in that space, oh. so to speak. Um, because honestly, it's like a sci-fi movie happening in current-day New York.
2: It, it it doesn't feel that far astray of um, Escape from the Bronx, right? Like it doesn't. Yeah, feel or like, any of those. Yeah, you know. and and like, it, but it's like it, like watching this. They kept getting vibes of uh, the Bronx Warriors and Escape from the Bronx, right? It, but it's like those are the films that this movie wanted to be if I had a bigger budget.
0: Well, I'd also say that it feels sort of like, and granted, this film comes two years later, but RoboCop, but without the satire. <laughs> Like,
3: you I mean, know what I mean? It's a 64-year-old like, Bronson. The satire's baked in.
0: Yeah, I guess that's fair. <laughs> I mean, the movie is technically, I shouldn't say technically, but it it is far more comedic than I think it was ever intended to be.
3: Oh, yeah. It's it's played very, very straight. Yeah. Um, except for, you know, a couple of attempted one-liners yeah, by we, Bronson.
2: we'll get to that in a second. So I meant to say here, I'm sorry, I had my notes here. This was released November 1st, 1985 estimated nine million dollar budget it made 16 million at the box office but that doesn't mean it made money just from the canon have
3: we have have, we've discussed how canon you can never actually tell what their budget is correct yeah that's
2: that's true and they also would do this thing where again this book that i've been reading it goes to all the financial stuff and, and i am not smart enough to understand it but there's a way that you can claim um that films make more money in year one and year two and then kind of like wave your hands in year three to where even that's where the biggest shortfall comes just the way the books work right so yeah, and with with Canon they'd always always say their budgets are bigger than they actually were. They'd always say their grosses are bigger than the, what they were. So you don't really ever know where, right. the, where their, their numbers lay. But Because
3: their 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 whole business model was them pre-selling movies to pay for the movies they're making today. But so one of the things
2: the that the, yeah, so one of the, the the problems with that is that they would sell to these foreign markets for a set price. So if the movie didn't perform well, they were protected by it because like they already sold their, their their movie for their money. But if the movie did really, really well, they couldn't go ask for more. So they were always kind right. of locked in this like rate, where these other big studios would be like, they would make the film, but then when the foreign markets wanted it, if it was a big hit, they would be able to ask more for it. So Canon, right. like, the way that they would plan these, didn't really, like for smaller films, it was okay. But they'd always want to be bigger, because they never, ever, ever wanted to um, look like they were not competing with the big boys. So yeah, with this we don't know. Um, so number one song when this movie came out, I just want to mention this because it's fun. Saving all my love for you, Whitney Houston, because it's exactly that what the song this movie needs. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I was just say. I'm just I'm just sitting here trying to remember the song and I can't. But you know, uh, I'm sure if you I sing, could, I could can sing, sing, it? You sing a little bit. No, know mm. I'm not gonna do it right now. Uh, films that came out the same weekend, Steve, you'll be appreciative of this. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two came out yes. the same weekend. The, the best which
3: one
0: <laughs> which is weird because if you want to talk about movies that like go far afield from their uh,
3: you know source material, source material yeah. or for the first one i think i'm the only person two, on work on earth who thinks that that's the best front nightmare i sequel. like it yeah. i do like it
0: i i like i didn't like it when i was younger once i was able to understand what the movie actually was i i fell in love with it right. so
2: yeah uh highest rated tv show at the time um uh, same elsewhere the Cosby Show. Uh, <laughs> oh, I also got to mention "To Live and Die in L.A." came out. I mean, soon. speaking can, of things yeah. that are a little rapey. Oh, <laughs> it's That's, not wrong. No, no you're right. Um, here, I'll, I'll give you this.
1: It wasn't especially large, but it felt hard, extremely hard.
2: Pudding Pops. All right. So then um, uh, this film ended up being the 54th highest grossing film of 85, which that that year was jam packed. Yeah, that's film. a yeah. huge year. So uh, the 55th highest grossing film, the one that came right behind it, King Solomon's Mines, which I think we're going to talk about. Or, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, love yeah that do one. we have a? I I think it's it? in the list somewhere. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so here, I'll give you two other movies. You tell me if you did better or worse than oh, uh, Death Wish 3. Right. Before we get back into I meant to mention this earlier. Uh, Porky's 3, better or worse than Death Wish 3. Better.
3: Worse. worse, better, better. Really? All right. Yeah. Uh, clue. Better or worse? I feel like worse. It did worse. Because that one that only came out on really video is when people started watching yeah.
0: it. See, I, that's one of the rare ones that I saw in the theater because it was, I've mentioned this before on the show, from like 85 to 89, my brother worked at a movie theater. Right. So I got to see like everything that came out for free.
3: Well, I saw it at the theater, but I saw it at, you know, the the hometown discount theater. So oh. I don't really count it that much.
2: Was it the Detroit Twin Theater? Yeah. Not, yeah. The one that was yep. uh, probably featured in American Splendor. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so alright so Bronson was 64 when this film came out we, we, we talked about that uh, same age as Mark Hamill when
0: uh, Last Jedi came out I, I mean sorry. I know Mark Hamill kind of <laughs> just had to find a way Mark Hamill's a little more Wars. spry in that one you know? <laughs> a little bit more
2: spry and he you know he got hit hard with like the he's not he doesn't look as young as he used to like way early in his life like yeah. quarter right. of that summertime he got kind of well, kind of jacked up, right? Yeah,
3: once he got that, you know, facial reconstructive surgery, he kind of looked, you know, a lot older. Yeah. Real fast. And
2: Bronson just kind of looked... Bronson, Bronson looked like... Bronson,
3: speaking of facial reconstructive surgery. I'm sorry, I keep mentioning it, but his face freaks me out.
2: <laughs> but he also looks like he's chiseled from stone no right. matter what, though. Like, th- like, what was it? In the first couple of films, there's a bit where he takes his shirt off.
3: Yeah, and he's and, he's cut.
2: Yeah, and it's like, how... What? Like, like, He's got granddad bod. I mean,
0: yeah. he did look like he was 21 at birth. So. Yeah, like, I
2: just, uh, but he still looked re- like, you know, and even in the third one, you could tell even though as much as he wasn't like there all the time there, he still had like a swagger and a presence, yeah. you know, like, so, all right. So he said, um. Did he get shirtless in this one? I, I don't remember. think he did. No, he did not <laughs> Um. He said this film oh, was, he doesn't. was nearly yeah. the same as the first two Death Wish films that came before, except this time he's not alone, is what he said. It's a very violent picture, but it all falls within the category of the story. Uh, Bronson did add, however, that there are men on motorbikes and an element that's threatening, throwing bottles and that sort of thing, and I machine gun them, which we didn't even talk about yet. That, to me, is excessive violence and is unnecessary. <laughs> I don't know what where you think you were working, pal. But, yeah. Uh... Um, so, like, the whole thing is him. He goes to this town and, like, this part of, like, you know, Crime Alley, right? And uh, he goes out to, to Nuketown in New York, <laughs> uh, the borough of Nuketown. And because the apartment that his buddy was murdered in is paid through the end of the month, he decides he's going to just be like, you know what, I'll hang the out squatters here. rights. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of see what happens with uh, Fraker and the boys, you know? And he maybe just, try to get a free uh, stuffed cabbage meal out of it here. Yeah, or there. maybe a free or just a free ice cream, you know. Right. And, but he goes about. No, like, he paid for that ice he cream. He did pay for that ice cream. Let's let's be fair. Yeah. He paid for that ice and cream and for somebody a local local youth yes. ice cream. So he's not a bad guy. That's that's the same. Was that cat the same moment. kid who who, who yes, gave he, him that earlier? Yeah, the, I think he gave him the fist yeah. pump. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the whole thing is, it becomes this whole thing of escalation where the gang thinks they have everything locked down, and he's kind of showing the the, the people like the locals like they can fight back. Right, it's it's right. a it's a army of darkness scenario where like he's trying to teach them all how to fight <laughs> right and, and stand up for themselves. It just keeps escalating and getting more and more ridiculous. And let's
3: let's be let's be fair here. The cops are never there. until no. the, yeah, literally and, the day after something and, happens. And
2: that's the point that uh, Shriker wanted him in there for is because this whole thing so is just a hell. They could have just done their jobs. That I agree with. <laughs> that. I completely agree with that. But uh, yeah, so I, I guess I just want to get into a little bit here where. I uh, also want to mention, whenever he's originally in the police station, before he meets the public defender, did you guys see a wanted sign for horses? Yeah, my God. <laughs> that was so great. I,
3: I, I went back and watched it three times, and I figured out that it was it was like they wanted to buy horses. <laughs> yeah. Right. i was
2: like, why is there a wanted sign for horses? What happened? <laughs> you know,
3: These Hot to Trot was being uh, uh, developed dangerous. <laughs> a couple blocks over. <laughs> hot
2: to Trot. Yeah, go, Gold Flight was in high demand at <laughs> yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, that's a movie I've seen multiple times. I have to admit.
3: Damnedly Colvin, man. But uh,
2: but uh but never as an adult, but I remember seeing it right. like on HBO. Over, yeah, they used over to play again. it all the time. Yeah. Um so uh yeah, so I wrote uh what was it? Um, there's a bit where he's teaching all the people in like the Parma complex of like how to defend themselves. There's the the older Jewish couple on the first floor that he has the free meal with. He and like there's someone that's like trying to break in so he, he does this Can thing Can We talk like, about the free yeah. meal for a second cuz yeah. cuz he he he's walking
3: back from the from you know his gun pickup. Because apparently, you could just send guns through the mail. Yeah, I meant to mention that too. He just
2: orders things through the mail. Yeah,
3: just, you know, fully functional weapons. Doesn't have to, you know, add a part to them or anything that you have to do nowadays. You know, I don't want to get on my my soapbox about that, but, uh, you know, (laughs) back in real America. Um, he's coming home from that he's just he just mentions to his buddies like "Oh, that food smells really good you know and then they they just go over there and like kind of weasel their way into
2: dinner yeah he's like i'm sure they'll let you and they're like yeah we'll let you but then he like it it turns out he was
3: using that as a pretense to watch them out watch the bad guys out of the car
2: to see the people come and mess up the car so he's basically making these these poor these lovely jewish people (laughs) an accessory (laughs) to 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 murder murder. yeah because that's when he just walks out the guys are like you know jacking up the car and they're like what's it to you he's like it's my car and just shoots them Just dead blank. Like I, I, like I. As much as I disagree with like stand your ground in terms of, I right. feel like that's kind of like I agree with stand your ground law in Charles Bronson films. <laughs> I agree
3: with vigilanteism did, in even, Charles Bronson. He films. didn't even stand his ground, right. though.
2: He was like, "You're stealing my radio!" Bang! Like, no, no, no.
3: The guy said, "No, now you're going to die." Yeah, oh, he did make oh, the threat. Oh, okay. So you know, fair enough. Fair Texas,
2: enough. Texas, he'd get away with it. Yeah. Te- yeah. Florida, he'd probably be you know famous like George Zimmerman. He probably would becoming like you know like a congressman or something. Right. But, uh, but yeah, that, so the, but then he also teaches like the 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 people in the building like how to defend themselves by uh, making like various traps. That I wrote in my notes here. I was like, so this is a darker version of Home Alone. I would have, <laughs> like, I would
3: have given this this movie twice the good rating if just one of those old people had gotten killed by one of those traps. <laughs> like the guy goes to open his window because it's ninety degrees,
2: even though they're wearing jackets. Yeah,
3: um, and he just dies.
2: Yeah, because he's fixing <laughs> this weird springboard with a, like a two by four a nail in it. And there's also the bit, too, where he puts, like, the board with the nails in it outside of, like, his bathroom window. And there's a bit where, like, because he realizes someone broke in and messed with his his apartment. Sorry, his dead friend's apartment. Right. But then he comes back later. Which is all
3: paneled for some reason.
2: Yeah. But he comes back later and sees that, like, there's, like, a bloody footprint. And he just kind (laughs) of does this whole, like... "Mm." Get womp, 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 womp. Like,
3: yeah, what is going on? You, you really needed like the incidental music from like, you know, Green Acres to play at that point. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it
2: was weird. So sorry, Steve, you're, you've are you been uh, yawning and listening to our conversation. <laughs> here.
0: Um, I've been listening. Um, yeah, I mean, I will say um, and I'm jumping ahead, but uh, well, no, actually, because it's throughout the entire film. I would say whoever the head of the NRA. I imagine this is probably what they masturbate to because it's <laughs> oh absolutely.
3: It's it's literally
2: Just they make to include, a, a point no, include more minorities <laughs> in there. You know <laughs>
3: you know how like the Catholic Church has the list of banned films. Right. The NRA has a list of suggested films, <laughs> and, it's, and it's
2: almost all canon. <laughs> and it's mostly Norris right Norse stuff. Yeah.
0: But like, they make a point several times in the film to point out that like it's illegal to own a firearm you know right. uh, but everyone so, in the building has one yeah but everybody in the building has one and they're kind of making that point of uh you know if you uh, outlaw guns the only people who have guns are outlaws or whatever right. that stupid saying is but um
3: you know what though not a lot of the uh, the thugs were shown packing heat throughout the film until the end yeah
2: well, Most of, of them, them had knives. Did you see that one guy was running with all of them with a the plunger? I yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: was, that was you know, he had his other job. He yeah. just came
2: from it. Yeah, he's like, there's the giggler and there's the plumber. Like, he's like, oh, you know. I plumb very well. <laughs> yeah, like, but uh, only gang members' houses. I don't do the locals, you know. <laughs> but I feel
0: like, you know, and this happened, there's a lot of gun fetishizing in all 80s films and even right. in the 90s. Um, and you could even make the argument that it's still happening today. But I. Um, it's it's a weird thing because like when I saw these movies, you know, I was very young. Yes, Paul, we've seen your gun. Thank you. And that was it's a, a Nerf, a, gun. It was it's a a nerf a, gun. It's actual. It's not a real gun because
2: I has been proven before recording, I have no ability to handle the gun, so I would I'd be dead seven times over. Be like, check
3: out my gun. Yeah, I mean, he did break this Nerf gun
2: yeah. before we started. I, so. I would I would be out the door like somebody in the band Chicago. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But I'll say that, you know, even watching these movies back in the 80s when I was, you know, 85, I would have been 11. I don't think I saw it in 85. I probably saw it somewhere.
2: 86 or 87. Yeah, somewhere in that area. But, like,
0: I was acutely aware that, like, like you did mention, like, that's what you pictured, like, big cities to be like. And I'll admit, like, that was sort of in the back of my mind uh, when I was a kid. But at the same time, I was also aware that, like... (laughs) The sort of uh, one-man army that happens in... You know, all of these movies. All of these movies is very much fake or not... Um, I don't want to say not real, but like a pipe dream or a... Right. A, you know. I was aware that, the, that uh, it was more fiction-based than anything, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I can't help but feel like as I look at things that happen these days and I look at the way movies were made back then that a lot of the viewpoints that I hear in regards to guns these days seem to stem from these movies. Um, And I'm not going to get political, but I mean, just... Even
3: older movies. I mean, you know, the generation before us, you know, grew up on Westerns. Right. you know, the load man fighting against evil and,
2: you know, filling yeah. his hand with gun this time. Um. <laughs> well, because that was supposed yeah. to be one of the toss off things that was in the book in the original Death Wish, but wasn't really made clear in the film was that he was influenced by Westerns. Right. Like, there was the whole big thing you talked about, like there's a showdown that he watched in one of the Western like like The Little the, Town. Yeah. yeah. But like, uh, he, and even at the end, where he's like, you know, do I have? to kind of get out by sundown, right. or whatever he says, yeah.
0: But at this point, though, there's no real like showdown in the sense that like he's literally just mowing people down. Like he's yeah. setting you know. them up to get mowed down. Yeah, for the most
2: most of the part. So that I guess that's my biggest like frustration with this film. Like you can just watch as a straight ahead ridiculous action film, and it's right. fun. But when you supposedly the the character of Paul Kersey from the first film, where he had a principal stand or a principal position about things. And to go from that to just like that guy just stabbed his feet or I'm or I know that I'm wanting to show that I'm spending a lot of cash buying an ice cream like that I could eat like whatever it is like a regular like put a sickle or right and carrying
3: my Nikon camera, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah, because you know, like that's the big thing like, you know basically baiting people to come out to engage him where it happened a little bit in the first film. There's the bit where he's on the subway with the groceries, like waiting for right. thugs to mess with them. That is more like you get like at that point in the film, you're supposed to be like, okay, I understand your position, but now you're this, a serial killer. Now you're taking it too far where you're actively engaging people to threaten you. So you feel justified in shooting them. Um, and there's a couple Westerns I've seen where the bad guys, are bad guys, but they'll be in front of the sheriff. But they'll goad the good guy enough, and to whenever they engage in combat, and be like, "Oh, well, self defense." That's what this is. And in this right. film, it is so over the top. And then whenever he does engage somebody with his Nikon camera and his ice cream, you know, he's eating. it's never questioned. No, and but it's the giggler. We've, we mentioned like, right? So all the gang members have their dumb names, but this, it's the giggler. Um, you know, bane of Batman, as we've talked about before. <laughs> um, uh, more better than the tickler. You know, you don't want to deal with that. <laughs>
1: Or the French tickler. Uh, the French tickler. Uh,
2: <laughs> but the giggler grabs the camera and runs away, and then Bronson pulls And he didn't it. really giggle while he was running. No, no. He and pulls out this handgun. We were promised that. That's bigger than God, <laughs> which I'll say this, the gun is ridiculous, but I feel like it's funny because the first two films, the guns are more realistic in terms of like yes. owning a personal handgun, right. but in terms of an 80s film, I'm like, that needs to be bigger than that. And this thing he pulls out is like-
3: It's like they saw Dirty yeah. Harry, they're like, no- Dirty Harry's a pussy. Yeah, it's here's almost the, here's
2: Bronson. It's almost like the gun they used in um all that Tom Selleck movie, uh, Runaway, where they had like the like the, the, the missile <laughs> on the front. Like you know, like Gene Simmons
3: gun. The gun the Joker had in the first <laughs> Batman movie. <laughs> or or the
2: red right hand of like Hellboy. Like this like <laughs> you yeah. need that kind of gun, right? Why do like, you need this firepower? <laughs> yeah. That's not the name of that gun, is it? It's not called the red right hand in the Hellboy. The, what's it called? It's the peacemaker or some shit, right? The Samaritan, the Samaritan. Samaritan. yeah. Yeah. I just call it the because he has a red right hand. Right. And he just uses it, you know. Nick Cave, it's the Nick Cave gun. But, uh, <laughs> the bad scenes. It's the bad. It just shoots bad scenes. At everybody. I just want everybody to be like you're wrong. I'm like you're right. I am wrong. But the gun that he uses to shoot the giggler is so big. And then everybody in the town, like the moment the giggler goes down and giggles no more, everyone's like,
0: yeah. Yeah. Like, and what's <laughs> interesting is that one lady's like, he's the guy who stole my purse, and it's like, okay, three
3: I- weeks ago, she said,
0: <laughs> and I understand that yeah. can be frustrating and awful i've never been mugged god willing never will be at the same time like i don't know that i would rejoice in like i've had an I ipod
3: a- stolen from my car and uh, i will say there were about 50 or 60 deaths that summer by my friends <laughs> <laughs> you
2: like you like i don't know any of these names they're on shuffle right. <laughs> <laughs> i've been i've been mugged at gunpoint right so uh, I, I don't know if i told you guys this story before Uh, I was an architect no that's not true Um, (laughs) you were an accountant it was when I first moved to Cleveland I was on the east side I had went to a show and I was with two buddies of mine and as we were like walking out this one guy's like talking to us he's like oh you guys want to buy some weed or whatever it's like no we're good because I had literally no cash I had like I had one dollar in my wallet um, and I and I was the dumb idiot person I'm Like, no, no, we're good And he's like, what'd you guys do tonight? It's like, oh, I went to a show uh, and He started like, the conversation And I was like, yeah, yeah. Basically, he's like, I'm not around, around from here I'm a defenseless like person I don't know, I'm a hick And so then he, he leaves And we as we're getting closer to my buddy's car This guy shows up again with a second person and they start talking to us about stuff And then all of a sudden That guy pulls a gun on me It's like a snub nose, like revolver He has it up against my ribs mm. and But the thing is My two idiot friends don't see the gun and wow. so the other guy, so he like, they're trying to get money from us. And I'm like, here, take my wallet, take my wallet. I told him, I was like, take whatever you want. I literally have $1. And I was like, you can keep the dollar. It's fine. <laughs> and so the other guy realizing that there's nothing here for, for everybody, he was telling his buddy with the gun, like, be cool, be cool. And so my friend, my one friend at the time, paler than all pale can be in terms of like, he isn't like completely Irish kid, like soup, like so pale. He could be translucent with like a shock of red hair. He's trying to talk, like you know, like of the street, like in terms of he's like, it's cool, dog. Yo, blood, it's cool. It's 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 all cool, dog. It's fine. I'm like, you're gonna get me killed, Brad. Just stop talking, you know, like. And so then my other buddy, who you know, he was actually much more calm. He's like, no, it's all good. We're fine. He's like, do you guys want some drinks? I have some drinks in the back of my car. And we had like smearing off ice at the back of my car. car. So so you
3: were you were at a sorority trip.
2: Yeah, pretty okay. much. I was going to pledge a uh, pledge, uh, Kappa Kappa side, whatever. <laughs> uh, 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 so then we, so my buddy opens his trunk to his car, hands him some smear and we're just talking for a second. They're like, oh, no, no, no. We thought you were guys messing with their cousins. We're like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And then the, the one guy who didn't have the gun was like, well, give him his money back. I'm like, oh, no, no, you're good. You're good. So the guy who put a gun to my ribs gave me my dollar back. <laughs> That's and then, how you know you're broke. Yeah. And then and then as we're like talking, like there's traffic coming down the street. So my one buddy's like, we're gonna go, and we all shook hands and we left. Like
3: That's how every transaction yeah. should end. <laughs> <with>. So <laughs> as we're like
2: driving away, I was like, Is that is that getting mugged? He's like, Yeah, I'm like, huh. Right. <laughs> like, Thought it would be different. <laughs> yeah, so I got a gun held to my ribs, uh, got my dollar back and right. shook the hand of the guy that put a gun to my ribs. So wow. and you're the godfather
3: of their child though, aren't you? Yeah,
2: pretty much. No. I um I decided I was gonna go find a uh, a machine gun from World War II and then lay waste to everybody around me with right. my one buddy holding the bullets. Everybody in the neighborhood. No, it was one of those things of this like, is this Cleveland? Like, right. It was very nothing I to do with this film, is, right. but you know, it didn't set me on a path of vengeance, I can tell you that. Well, that's because you got your
3: dollar back. It would have went a whole different way.
2: Yeah. That'd be like, I have one hundred reasons to come out of you. <laughs> <laughs> You just leave a penny at each seed. Yeah, 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 and everybody's like, "This doesn't make sense." And they'll be like, "Eventually, like you know." <laughs> <really>? <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, sorry. I mean, your
3: that, big path of vengeance was uh, Lindale, though, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that small blight on Cleveland where <laughs> right. I sent them eighty-seven. That's checks. the only
3: place I've ever gotten a speeding ticket as well. So
2: yeah. So anyway, uh, <laughs> back to back to Death Wish. Death was three. I, I um. This film, like, so the first two, he was on his own, and then this one, the town's behind him, and then they keep, so the the Fraker and the boys keep escalating, they keep doing things. They end up eventually killing uh, Bronson's love interest, who is right. the public defender. Which In the a,
3: best way ever.
2: Yeah. <laughs> By the way, so she... I, love that, I, like,
3: I I feel yeah. like I sounded very misogynist here, but if someone can please explain how the death happened, you'll see why I said so, it's the best way yeah, ever. please. Steve,
0: what's, what's interesting is, is that Bronson, after having uh intercourse with i don't know why i'm like
3: with his own granddaughter <laughs> let's be honest oh, no.
0: but like uh he's like oh i need to stop off and pick up my mail uh which <laughs> i don't There's know more guns yeah and
3: a couple of penthouse <laughs> magazines probably
0: subscription to uh big booty magazine and uh he goes in to get his mail or whatever and uh he was being tailed by frakes and another guy and wow What's so like, funny about it, and I, I shouldn't say funny, but like it she's is just funny. W-
3: she's waiting in the car. It would be terrible if it happened in real life. In a movie, it's funny as f-
2: <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I use the word intercourse, so.
2: <laughs> I, I, I may or may not go back and beep that. We'll find out. Um, <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> Stay uh, tuned.
3: Yeah, I like how I'm trying to be. <laughs> I, I really I tried to be really... nice, but it's so- that one had to come out. I'm but, sorry. But
0: yeah. <laughs> So, long story short, uh, they run over to the car that she's sitting in, punch her in the face, <laughs> and then just, like, put, put the car on neutral right, and send it down the road. And then it runs into another car, and then that car explodes, and her car then explodes. Like, I don't know. I, I, I've i yet to witness a real-life, like, car explosion. God willing, never will. But I don't think because cars are designed not to do that. Yeah, That's why you haven't. Yeah,
2: yeah. Like I, I MythBusters mean, kind of proved that. repeatedly. <laughs> Paul, how probably. many uh, exploded cars do you come across in your work? Um, <laughs> well, not many. Like I've, I've had. Uh, not to get too much into this, I've seen vehicles that were on fire, but I've not seen cars that have exploded. There's a difference there, you know. Right. Like I've not had been like the whole like oh I was just backing up. And then boom, like, flame, like golden ball of flames. I've never encountered that Six in my life. Six story high fireball. Yeah. I was just like, oh, are your loved ones dead? It's like, yeah. She had gotten punched in the <laughs> head and was knocked out previous. Her, hus- her husband went in to go check his mail. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> you know,
0: yeah. Get his
3: mail for the soup Nazi. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I do also <laughs> think it's odd that like he's aware of how crime ridden the city is and how... Um, he's got a giant target on his back. Like, right, but he'd gone last-
3: uptown at that point, so he, I'm not sure if he would ex- would have expected it.
2: I guess that's fair.
3: It almost looked like his old haunt from uh, the first movie. Yeah. Kind of the same neighborhood. It would have been great Riverside if you that Drive. same
2: uh, that same like grocery store. Right. Um, I wrote my notes earlier here. Um, excuse me. Um, I don't think I'd want to be friends or even remotely know Paul Kersey. It's just an invitation to be crimed on. That's what I feel like. That's uh... <laughs> You could be a co-worker, though. You could be. Yep. But I just feel like if you're just like, hey... Dude, like I'll, I'll pick up this coffee for you it's fine and be like oh I'm, I, I guess i'm dead now like right. i feel like that's like if you just know him remotely you're done and but yeah his love interest the 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 public defender that she even wondered there's a bit when she like brought him over to make chicken which again we talked about the like you know he's like chicken is good i'm like yeah Out of, did she yeah. just boil that chicken yeah maybe it, lo- it looked like boiled chicken with no seasoning that's his preferred that's, <laughs> that's, that, that is the bronson so he um, keeps lean yeah. right uh, and there's even a bit later when he's in his dead friend's apartment, just making beans. Did right. you notice that? Right? It's, like, it's like I wrote, "Uh, I'm just making beans." Well, that's because Sh- uh, justice beans. That's
3: that's because the uh, Jewish family, the one woman had died, you know, <laughs> yeah. so he couldn't get a meal from yeah. her that day.
2: But like the whole, but the whole thing of the public defender, where she's like, "I don't even know if it's even worth it." She goes this whole thing like, "People need to be tougher on crime." It's like you're a public defender,
3: right? That's like, your job.
2: She was more aggressive about her stance on crime than he was, and he's the one that's killing people. randomly. it's, it's like they they. They thought for a second about, you
3: know, oh, we should give it, you know, the other side of the argument for a little bit just to keep with the series. And then they're like, no, you
2: need to shut her down now. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I just Like, you know what? People don't deserve to get defended. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I feel like I put in here my, my notes. The love story is the thing that makes the least sense in this film. Oh, absolutely as, as ridiculous as this film is, the love story doesn't make sense. Um, she would get fired for that, I would think. Yeah, I would life. think so. Yeah. Um, so then, also, did you notice this is the third movie in a row from the Death Wish series that had people just marching around balloons? Did yeah. You guys notice that like there's a was, party crowd.
3: I was watch- I was also watching for nuns, and I couldn't find any of this one. Because <laughs> the first one has like three scenes where there's just nuns walking around in the well,
2: background, and then the second one, the, the right. daughter is actually at a place that's being you know like with nuns working with her. Right.
3: And somebody in the first movie, from the first movie, had you know, made a been asked about that um in the book that i was reading the bronson's loose or whatever and he'd he'd asked the director he's like what's with the uh the nuns in in death wish and he's like oh it's 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 symbolism he's like well what does it symbolize he said nothing it's symbolism <laughs> <laughs> and if you were going to ask me any questions about uh the
2: director winner yeah there it is <laughs> yeah nothing, it's sim- symbolism so um with, with, so Alex Winter was in this film. He was one, he was Hermosa, you know whatever. Uh, there's a, there's a note in here. It's on the Wikipedia page, so if I can read this, so I didn't. I did my research. Uh, Alex Winter recalled filming a scene where Charles Bronson hits him with a lead pipe, and it took longer than anticipated because Bronson didn't show up to do it. After a while, Michael Winter said, "Charlie, we all want to go home. Would you please hit this man so we can go home?" And Bronson replied, "I can't hit this kid. He looks like an effing choir boy. I'll lose my audience." <laughs> <laughs> you know that's partially that might be
3: his, uh alex winter's fault because he didn't want to take part in the rape earlier
2: in the movie it's true we didn't yeah that you talk about things just kind of come out of nowhere for no reason right like it just it but i feel like there's a bit where bronson was following one of the guys into like a, was it was the parking garage is that yeah. it happened this where he ends up just shooting dudes that are trying to rape a, like a woman and she pushes her away no it was, a, it was a redhead that was oh, that's in the right, fan, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and then the, when the police asked, like, can you identify? He's like, oh, yeah, it was a six foot tall redheaded African-American artist. Right. Like, well, that
3: was it. That was like in the, the first or the second one,
2: wasn't it? Oh, I don't. They're all blending together. I thought that was a parking garage with the, the third film where he went down and followed him. Then the, no, cause the
3: parking garage. The, the one in the third film was when he jumped on Marina Certes' car yelling, I want to eat you.
2: Oh, and I'm like, but we, didn't she, she drive away into a, to a parking garage? And to like, be fair, just yes. so, for
0: clarification, it was not Charles Bronson who jumped on the car and yelled.
2: I it was I Alex Winter. Winter. Yep. Yes. But but he chases him down to the parking garage and ends up fighting yeah, the other guys off, though, into a van alive. that they're trying to rape that redhead. I think that was in the third film, right? I don't know, man. Uh, I whatever. think They're... that was in the second one. I don't. Yeah, I don't whatever. Feel like it doesn't matter. One. I guess. So anyway, um, the, the the raping stuff in this, like, all the films are is a bit much, right? right. I, I, that makes me sound like you know what? A little bit of rape's okay. No, that's not what I mean. No, by it's I just
3: that. the way that you know David Winner seems to shoot them is just Michael Winner. <laughs> like yeah, like, like you are throwing
2: this David Winner under the bus <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> David <laughs> Winner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did it again. Sorry. Oh no. I have to keep track of numbers in my head now. And then, and, and maybe censor it later. Uh, so Alex Winter recalled filming a scene... Uh, uh, sorry, the lead pipe I mentioned already. According to Alex Winter, Charles Bronson had a Jaguar that drive him from his dressing room to the set, which was about three feet away. He noted that it was more like watching a man golf than act. So how do you feel about Bronson's uh, acting in this, Steve? I want to give this to you. So uh,
0: it's weird. Like, I don't want to say that... Because I, I don't have a big enough um, familiarity with all of his work to be able to really point to when I think he's really like pull, putting in a gut-wrenching performance versus like, yes, he, he's, he certainly feels like he's phoning it in in this film, but at the same time, I, I don't have well enough of a, a basis in Bronson's filmography to be able to say... You know, oh, he. Because I, I honestly haven't seen a lot of his westerns. I'm um, not a western guy um, yet. Yet, and uh, <laughs> so it's it's. A I'll say that he's he's as Bronson y as I know him in most movies, but like I don't know I don't know that he was also an actor who had a lot of range, you know?
2: Well I would argue, and I know you've not seen the Magnificent Seven, there, there he's he's kind of like that, that flint eyed, like, you know, like standoffish guy and that. But mm-hmm. there's a whole thing where like the local like talents, people's kids kind of gravitate towards him. And there's a whole thing where he's just like you can kinda of tell that he kinda of likes the kids, but he's like, No, 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 we gotta defend these people. So like at first like you get the idea like he doesn't doesn't want to deal with them, but the, the end of the film, like he, he comes around. So you see actual emotion and like depth from him. I feel like he was, if he's engaged and cares, that's that's good performance in this. It's like it was almost he was shrugging his way through it. And that was uh frustrating to me because like I feel like when Bronson wants to do something, it's worth it. And yeah, there, I mean, there, even in the yeah. first
3: one, he, he had he had an emotional journey that, you know, it wasn't, you know, Oscar caliber, but
2: it was there. Yeah. You can well, see even, it. Even the moment where he runs into the guy, like the, the foundry or whatever it is, because I feel like all these movies into the foundry <laughs> and he tells him, fill your hand. Like right. he doesn't want to just shoot the guy unarmed. Like yeah. he has, there's that sense of like, you know, honor as messed right. up as it is. You going know? back but, to another
0: Bronson film though, from the year of Canon, you know, I don't know that there was a huge difference between this performance and the performance he gives in 10 to midnight.
2: Th- that, that's fair. But at least with 10 to midnight, you had the moments of, um, sorry, I'm rich. I'm going to spoil some of this for you where he uh he makes a decision to skew the investigation yes it, but it, that's a story point that's is, not but but when he could when he talks to his uh his partner about it he makes a decision like you you still get him you still get him like turning it over and kind of dealing with the ramifications of the choice he made there so i guess I, it's right.
0: it's it's the the difference between like you know oh uh this one's lavender and this one's purple like <laughs> I just, but I don't think there's a, there's that many shades between.
3: But in this in this one, none of that's there. I mean, no, he, he's no. decided he's going to kill everybody in that town by the time he got off the bus. Yeah, and he's like, oh, it's Monday. And then he found it's out his and time. then he found out his friend was dead. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he, he he didn't really seem to register that at all throughout anywhere no, in the film no. or his girlfriend, his love interest, um, which from the text seems like was supposed to mean something, but obviously.
2: Through the screen did not. No, and so then you get to like the last third of this film, which is this one big like just shootout. Uh, no one can touch Bronson. Oh, I forgot to mention earlier with his big like you know hammer of God gun that he had. Oh God! Like the, the, he killed the giggler, yeah. and then there's a bit where he gets confronted. He drops it, and I'm like, right, you're really going to lose this it. gun right now, like you know. <laughs> but he comes back and gets it later. But it which was, was like just yeah. Weird. I was expecting the bad guy to pick it up and be at, like, "This is my right. gun now," and at, it never at happened. At that point
3: in the movie, when um. Between that and the and the other uh, nighttime uh, scene with the the bad guys, it's it came off like people were playing guns in the street, <laughs> and he was he was the kid you didn't want to play with because every time you shot him, he'd be like, "No, I was wearing I was wearing bulletproof armor," and you missed. <laughs> you, and you didn't hit me. Yet. He was walking straight towards the men. Yeah. Down an alleyway, I mean, I and think- no one could hit him. <laughs>
0: I think it does say enough about our generation as well that, like, you could play a game at, when we were kids that was just called guns. Right. Like, I, it, like it was yeah. an unspoken rule that it was like, hey, Sometimes you play Sometimes
3: it guns? was called, you know, cops and robbers. Sometimes it was armies. But Sometimes it, army, it, Usually yeah. it was just guns. It was just yeah. guns, yeah. And it didn't matter if you had a gun. Uh, I'm sorry, a water pistol or a Nerf gun or a stick. A stick. Or you're just st- your hand. Or your hand, yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, and uh, I know you have
0: not watched Spaced. Have you ever watched oh, Spaced? I fricking. love that
3: show. Okay. It's there's one of a, my favorite shows.
0: A great episode that's sort of based around that unspoken thing about playing guns. Uh, oh, where... my God. That was the best episode of anything <laughs> I've ever seen. The unspoken male rule. Yeah. <laughs> um, but It's a kind of telepathy. Exactly. <laughs>
2: um, I feel left out for some reason.
0: Well, well, I. Because I'm
2: not watching. That's why I'm left out. I can, we'll
0: get to Spaced at some point. At this point, it's a choice that you have haven't watched it <laughs> i know i just
2: did my wife has the whole series on on dvd it's so. like 14 episodes. all right we're gonna be
3: back in about three hours
2: guys we're gonna go watch this <laughs> is charles bronson in space like, yes okay <laughs> yeah. nick frost is charles nick bronson
0: <laughs> he, he's he's, he's not is. far off I, was was say, yeah. I, I would
2: love to see uh, an actual remake of death wish with nick frost oh my god <laughs> and like simon pegg is like his, his part is like you know his buddy that just right. shows up that'd be great yeah
0: yeah, so, I mean, I, I do think that's interesting. Like, it was that big of a piece of our culture back right. then. And also, you know, there was, you know, we didn't have the orange tip on our plastic guns back then, you right. know, until kids started getting shot. But um,
3: it was weird because, you know, we all played guns as kids, but but uh, my parents wouldn't allow us to have guns. Okay. Like, to the point where I never had Megatron <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> um. So I would have to always have always had to borrow like one of the neighbors' guns because my parents were like, you know, hippies, and they're like, no, you're not playing with war toys, you know, it's stupid. And I agree with them now, but at the time it was weird. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, you don't understand when you're. Yeah. A kid. Exactly. You just think. So you know,
3: we'd I borrow one of the we had you know, um, water pistols, you know, that didn't look like real guns. and stuff like that. We, we're talking about guns yeah, so much we, that they're cops. Um,
2: yeah. So, all right. So um, to, before we like wrap up our thoughts about death wish three, because I feel like we didn't even get to like the, the third act, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so whenever a Golem was um, directing Delta Force, uh, he was asked about death wish three because it was coming out. And he says uh, uh, he uh, he then added thoughtfully and it will also uh, save us interest charges. He's talking about like making films overseas. Uh, Monaco became animated as he talked about death with death wish three which as he spoke was briefly lodged at number one in the American film parade in a soft period between ma- the major pictures. It has a rape uh, it has a rape in it like you've never seen, he enthused. It's very strong. Like Michael Winter said, it's World War Three. It's the most violent film I've ever seen, but don't misunderstand me. It's an anti-violence film. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: It may get good reviews. I don't know. My wife was holding her stomach, but she sat through it. Fantastic movie. <laughs> If only a few more people had agreed with Golan's opinion of this repulsive film. So this is the author directing his own opinion, uh, variety for one properly cut it down to size by describing it in no uncertain terms as a monotonous shootout. It opened in 1460 theaters and grossed a total of 16 million point 16.1 million at the box office, which is higher than what we just talked about. So maybe not accurate or a net Canon a net to Canon of 6.4 million before distribution costs were deducted or not deducted in the case of Canon <laughs> uh, against a $9 million budget and $5 million uh, print and advertising costs. After its opening box office, it slipped by 41% in the second weekend, 30% in its third and 49% it's fourth and, f- and a further 31% it's fifth and mostly last um, and mostly last that weekend one more quote here uh, from this book winner's uh, latest was in fact a pedestrian vehicle chock full of gratuitous violence pandering to the lowest common denominator in the audience a perfunctory script made no attempt at characterization and the film trundled that's a great word from one scene to the next to the next sorry one scene of excess to the next culminating in a particularly lurid and l- ludicrous finale where half of a new york suburb gets blown away One could only speculate on the state of the minds responsible for this claptrap from sponsors all the way down to the director. Wow, so
3: they liked it. Yeah,
2: <laughs> people were a fan for what we did.
3: I wouldn't say trundled as much as
2: stumbled. Trundled makes trundled. you think that you have a goal. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the ending of this just becomes one big just firefight. Oh, it's great.
0: I also love that the one guy is eager to carry the box of uh, <laughs> ammo as Paul Kersey's. I'm doing own. my part, Marina <laughs> Service's husband, right? right. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: It, it, so this makes the second film in which somebody was just like a, like assaulted and they died like in the hospital because. Sorry, it's the That first was Marina Certis. Yeah, she no. Died in the so in the first film, right. it was his wife and daughter, but the wife died because of the assault because right. she was traumatized. And in this one, Marina Certis, she died of a broken heart. Yeah, and then this one, she was like, "Oh, I thought she just had a broken arm." Or was that the first film? Was that the was the third. Like, third. Yeah, third. film. It's like, oh, "I thought she has a broken arm." It's like, no, no there's a blood
3: clot. She died. <laughs> we couldn't afford Marina Certis. She just got hired in Star Trek, so she had <laughs> yeah. to go. Yeah,
2: that was it. Like, I have to. I, I'm just gonna pull a. Um, Oh, what's the name of that dog from The Simpsons? Poochie, poor Poochie, and she has to go back to her home planet. <laughs> My people need yeah, me. Yeah. So then like so it's her husband that's holding the bullets and this gun. Right. Which there's He two does guns. the
3: least amount of revenging of anyone in that neighborhood. <laughs> and he has the most reason.
2: There's two there's two like guns that one of Mar- uh, Martin Balsam's character had and he didn't quite make work. And then he was like, Oh, your your dead friend has one. And so it's like, Yeah, I'm just gonna open up with this uh, machine gun that we've kept during World War II that no one's questioned. Yeah. And also they're like, does So the did he take work? that out and oil that every day? Yeah, and he's like, Do the bullets work? He's like, Of course they do. And we didn't even <laughs> mention um uh Bronson making his own ammo for his gun. We didn't mention it because it had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> I just like that. It's just like you got to show him making these own bullets, you right? Know? Like, yeah, <laughs> only the best for Bronson. I yeah. mean, because
3: cannon's weird because they they underfund everything, but then they take these weird detours that mean nothing, like the bullets. I yeah. mean. But Did that ever planned anything? No. Other than like, other than you can't get bullets for the gun
2: probably. Well, I, then he said that these these things were specifically made for like like safari hunts. So right. this thing was supposed to leave a hole like the size of like a dinner plate in it. Right. You never saw that. I will
0: say that, you know, on the topic of budgets and production value, I will say that there's some pretty impressive stuff in the film. I oh, mean yeah. Oh yeah. There's it looks like a real movie. A couple. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a real movie. There's a couple of really impressive fire gags, yeah. um, which again,
3: people just spontaneously catch on fire. But um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's one little bit of the own. At least in that scene, with,
1: like,
3: at least, here. at least in that one scene, they did throw some Molotov cocktails into yeah. the building before the two people just stagger
2: out. No, there's actually one building too. It's like an older building that gets blown up. It's like impressive looking. Oh like yeah, that. yeah. Um, my wife was watching it with me, and she
3: she said, "Is like is the is." dalton gonna come riding a big (laughs) a monster truck (laughs) i used to have guys like you in prison right uh, jc pedis
2: is here because of me (laughs) um so yeah she's she's smarter than
3: i am and funnier i would
2: also argue that at least the ending to this is as much as it just kind of becomes like numbing feels more better That's not even the right phrase more better more more smarter than um (laughs) Uh, then, like the ending of Delta Force, where it just becomes like this bludgeoning. I feel like at least with this, it's like you still get a sense of like they're like, and so the townspeople fight back, yeah. like, at the burrow and everything. Like it's ridiculous, but you still get a sense of like. Something's going on. We're we're invading It's USA. competently
3: staged and like it makes geographical sense, kind of. Yeah, at least you what, can follow it.
2: Say what you want about Winter as a director. I know he was kind of always trying to like find the next big thing just to keep himself employed. Right,
3: and he seems kind of awful as a person. But, yes. You know, <laughs> oh man. I didn't even I didn't even mention you know Alex Winter talking about you know Marina Sirtis and her rape scene.
2: Yeah, and how they kept like she was cold and on the ground. Yeah, because like, on
3: the on the ground of a freaking car park. Yeah. And, Somebody, you know, was the director of photography, was trying to put a jacket on her. To and he keep was her yelling her. about yeah, it. Yeah, he was yeah, screaming it. about it, telling her, get that jacket off her.
2: Yeah, was, he was terrible. Um, and even in the second film, whenever um, the maid gets raped, all, I was reading about how all the people involved in that scene would immediately cover her up. Right. Like, it's like, you know, they were professionals. Yeah, and, and he seemed just like don't, nope, crazy. No, just, just yeah. make it happen. Um, so... But then the end of this, like you say, you have Chekhov's like rocket launcher also, <laughs> well, again, very much similar to the ending of Evasion USA, where yeah. you keep talking about these grenade launchers. But then, like, Freaker shows up and like, they're about to have the showdown, and Bronson's like, nope, and just shoots this grenade launcher at him. Well, <laughs> he's
3: got the best spit take of anybody in any movie ever, though, to that. <laughs> the
0: <But laughs> it, it is kind of a canon, you know, staple. Um, staple because yeah. Delta Force, while it's not technically a rocket launcher, ends with him blowing somebody up with rockets from dude, his motorcycle. Dude, um, I like, like, have
2: yeah. not seen Delta Force yet, oh, so thank well, you for spoiler spoiling for, for Yeah, spoiler Force. for it. Things blow up. No, I don't know. Really. <laughs> also, Chuck Norris may have a mullet. Yeah, we're 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 gonna get to Delta Force that's been picked for the year, so we'll we'll talk about it when we talk about it. All right,
0: it. fine. I ruined the movie. No. We won't talk about it. Yeah, you ruined it. it for me.
2: Oh no.
3: Um Do you think his motorcycle
2: from Delta Force was made by the people from Mega Force? <laughs>
0: it's probably the same yeah. bike. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, all right, I think that, like, so the ending of this is just this whole big barrage of just, like, action that's ridiculous, and, and it ends very abruptly with Bronson blowing away Fraker. So, like, their first real face-to-face outside the prison where Fraker was like, I always win, and so you never, ever, really, ever got, like, this back and forth between them. I Just whatever. It just, it didn't. It felt a little hollow, it felt a little weird. Very much so. At least at least it felt like it was a better payoff than like the first two films because I feel like the first one he never encountered the people that caused the crimes. Right. He never you know, never encountered Jeff Hoodbloom. And then the second one he did track down all of them and killed Which them Which I
3: think was a mistake in the second one, yeah. to be honest.
2: Yeah. It just it just it didn't at least this put a face on the threat. And it and made it "quote unquote" personal from the get go. This time it just, it's personal. It just never added up. And then there's the bit where Schrader is running along with Bronson. And he's like, "I'm the only law here. Bang, 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 bang." It's well, like,
0: yeah. yeah, that's the weird thing about their relationship throughout the film. Like, Bronson really doesn't seem to want to help him out at all. He's just no. sort of like, "You told me that I could, you know, hang out here and murder people, so <laughs> I guess we're good." But you know, he's like, "Well, you got to give my boys something to do." And he's like, I don't care. Like, give me some like crime tips. Yeah, and and basically Bronson's like, I can't help you out. Sorry, yeah, I'm like, just he's here to like, murder. He's like,
2: Listen, there's crime here that's going yeah. on right yeah. now. But it's interesting that some just killed suddenly, two guys by a bait car. I don't even want to happen there. It was the last
0: yeah. like <laughs> five minutes of the movie? It becomes a buddy cop movie for some yeah, right.
2: reason. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he did take
3: time to you know set up defenses for the for the neighbors and train them a little bit. How to
2: make nail boards that would right? Like, like, there's a bit too at the door that happened later. I will say
3: that I remember after watching this movie and some others at the time uh, when I was a kid, I tried to set booby traps in my room. (laughs) Um, They did not work as well. Probably Um, for the best. I know we've already
0: mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street too, but it does feel like they watched the first Nightmare on Elm Street with Nancy's uh, booby traps. Right. We're like, we got to put this in. The movie. Well,
2: we, there no. was not enough. Uh, Can you step into oatmeal? <laughs> uh, there's not enough shotgun shells and like uh, right. light bulbs yeah. and trip wires. <laughs> uh, well,
3: I spent all this time making the ammo for that big guy's gun. leg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Instead of a sledgehammer hitting people, it'll be a board with right. a nail in it.
2: Yeah. Well, But that door was like a, a knife that like caught that one guy in the yeah. forehead. It yeah. was so dumb, but great. So. Okay. dumb but great, dumb I, but great. That's probably the way to call it. Fun story, yeah, yeah. So, all right. I don't know if you guys have anything else improper to say about this. Um, we should probably maybe just wrap it up because I mean,
0: I feel like I spent most of my time talking about just the politics of guns in the film, but <laughs> um, but that's
3: part of the reason I chose the film is because it's it's this weird. You get it because it's yeah. a weird mental space between my own politics and the politics of the films that I was raised on. Yeah, and But it's that mental dissonance between the two that just <laughs> confounds it's, me. It's also that I'm acutely
0: aware of it being a fantasy. Like right. I feel like it's no more real than, say, Masters of the Universe or any other, you know. Yeah, but I mean, so, so is
3: you know Star Trek and everything else. That you know those are things that kind of informed who I am. You know. Yeah. So you can see how it could go a different way, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean. It's it's interesting. God, we just got really deep, guys. <laughs> it is interesting, though. Just uh, the '80s were such an odd t- capsule of capsule. They, they they were just an odd time for action in the sense that, like, uh, the '80s obviously being a, a period of excess, like Golan and Globus were definitely a big piece of that. Right. I think that that's that's what you think of when you think of a a canon film. So. On that level, I think the movie succeeds, but like it's it's a brilliant comedy unintentionally, but it's a brilliant <laughs> right. comedy. you know so that's my my I guess my final thought once we before we get into the actual final thoughts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just, just watching the, the semi-final fir- final thoughts yeah the, <laughs> watching these th- like the, the first three films back to back to back pretty much on the same day and realizing there's like you know what like 10 years pretty much separating the first film from the third film. Right. It, it's, it's an interesting journey to be like, oh, this is a guy who's principled and is like, you know, he's making a decision because the cops aren't helping him to, nope, doesn't matter. We're just going to just kill everybody and just shrug it off. It was like, it, like, I didn't feel it was earned. And I also feel like there was just, it was just weird. Well, and nothing it, feels earned in this no. movie. No. No, but I'm just saying, like in terms of like the like the first one, I could kind of see that there's that moral gray area, and even the second one a little bit. But th- there's no gray area here. You're just here, to straight up murdering no. people. Like the the bad guys are bad, no doubt. But it's like it's just you had to make a cartoonishly bad like gang and villain to make it feel like he was justified doing anything. So that that's it was it was fun, but if you didn't watch the first two coming into this. He'd be like, oh, this guy just, just doesn't like people. Like, right, it'd be like,
3: oh, this is an exterminator too, you know?
2: Yeah, like you would have no point of reference and be like, oh, he's just he was just going to go visit a friend. I guess it's murder time. Like, <laughs> just, just what he does. Yeah, so all right. Um, so we have a couple questions that we always ask at the, the end of these episodes of the, of the Year of the Canon. Year of Canon. I'm not going to even get our own show right. Uh, so first question we have to ask because it was the first film we watched for Year of the Canon. Is this better or worse than the Apple do you want
0: me to go first or okay? Um, it's a sliding scale, but I'd say better. (laughs) Um, I, I, as much as I enjoyed the apple for all of its weird eccentricities and, uh, the, the weird sort of trying to make this thing just happen, um, which is again, their motto at, at Canon films. Um, like i said it, it being an unintentional comedy i think is what makes me like it so much is that it's just it's dumb and and fun and uh, if you think about it too hard it, your brain will hurt but like uh, there was also no point in the movie where I felt like they ran out of money, which the <laughs> Apple feels like they ran out of the money by the like before they got to the last 10 minutes. Yeah,
3: I just have them go wander off into the sky. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, God's in the
2: Cadillac in
0: the sky. That would have been amazing, though, <laughs> yeah. if Bronson would have just flown away in yeah, a Cadillac. Yeah, he just shots the last person you hear, Spirit of the Sky, come
3: up real low on the soundtrack. I don't know if that's possible by dates. I don't know when that song came out. Yeah, but...
2: um, yeah you got to get some Norman Greenbaum in there. It'd be great. Uh, so, so, Rich, uh, is this better or worse than the Apple?
3: Um, I too love the apple. Um, uh, if, I, if I could be any person in movie history, it might be Mr. Boogaloo, <laughs> um, which funny because when I was researching for this movie, you know, at one point I typed into my phone, you know, "electric boogaloo," and it tried to change it to "boogaloo" because I typed it so many times. <laughs> um, it's better. It's one hundred percent better than it. Um, like I said, I love the apple. I love the conception of the apple. It drags a lot in the middle. Yeah, um, it, it, is not, out, it is yeah, not. It is not really that successful at what it's trying to do. Although I appreciate what it's trying to do, I think this one hits its marks almost yeah. the entire time. Oh, that was a bad pun. I just realized what movie we're doing, and that's it hits the mark. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, but it it, it, it it does what it set out to do. And you know, on what was a good budget for canon, but maybe not a great budget for a mainstream film at the time. I'd say yes, but I don't know. Nine million dollars
0: in 1985—it's it a lot. Feels I mean. like a lot, you know? Yeah,
2: so it's I a would, medium budget. I would yeah. say that this is better than the Apple because at least, it, as much as the, the story in this is very thin, and this like at times just like it, it it goes from point A to point B, and it completes the story. It, it sets it up as much as it just takes these narrative leaps at the beginning. It finishes the story, and it, and it ramps. It keeps ramping up, which I think is something this type of film needs. Yeah, so. it does ratchet up the. The stakes. Yeah. And I feel like with the Apple, uh, not these are different movies, but I want to see a musical Death Wish version now. That would be um, the best. You know, where everybody's like, you don't have a bim mark? Bang, bang, and you're done. We can uh, even
3: have the Charles Bronson character sing, I'm coming. I'm coming for you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Um, I, yeah, I just think that from it, that this knew exactly what it wanted to do, and it, it did it and yeah it was it's better than the apple so
3: now if i were to compare it to the original death wish i'd i'd rate it lower oh of course
2: yes yeah. but that no. wasn't a canon film. right yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so all right next question we got to ask this is the completely arbitrary number that we we're going to assign to this called the monacoma index where it's zero to 100. How much do you feel like Monarchan Golan influenced this movie? So, Steve, I'll give you... Just give me your arbitrary number.
0: I'm going to say an 80, and I'm giving it that simply because you wrote the, read that quote about it being a rape like you've never seen before, <laughs> which makes me feel like he definitely had his fingers in it more than you would have... than yeah, but I, I would have had
2: before you gave me that but, quote. But
3: Billy Winter really likes his rapes too. I've decided to change his name. <laughs> Billy Winter.
2: <laughs> You're like, uh, you know, Michael Winter. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so Rich, what, where would you assign this? Like his much, how much influence do you think Benachem Golan had on this film?
3: On, on the film's release in general or just like the story and the film? Whatever. I
2: feel like, you know, because if, the, if, the second one was produced under canon, but right. this one is complete, like it's well, a being, very much a departure.
3: Being as this one was announced before it was even had a script and rumors are that they were, uh, Bronson was not really on board with it and they talked about getting Chuck Norris instead yeah that's true Yeah, um, for that I'd give it about an 85 Menachem but as far as the the story and um, the way it was shot and filmed I'd probably give it about a 60 because David Winter I think has his fingerprints all over this thing
2: yeah I, but I feel like he was also like the perfect director for canon where he, yeah, absolutely. Just, didn't, he just didn't care and right. was like, we're just going to do this um, and I, even
3: I, where he would try to do a couple of you know legit films and then go back to this when it didn't work
2: yeah so I will also kind of put it in the 80s to, uh, for me just because it was like this whole thing of like, well, people wanted this. Let's just give them more and make the villains more contrasting, make them more deserving, make them like a theme gang. which Make is- them way crazier. Yeah, which you, you kind of even saw that in, like, The Apple with, like, the different, like, assignments and things, which I'm not saying. He's like, hey, watch The Apple and make a Vigilante film over this. But right, we've
3: talked a lot about how the thugs are over the top here, but they've always kind of been over the top, and these are over the top for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like, it, yeah, we talk about the Warriors and um, the Bronx Warriors and Escape from the Bronx. It just felt very and much in that Please me too. too. Police Academy, yes. too. I just It just feels like this is, like, turned up to the point of, like, not even 11 or 12, but it's, like, turned up so loud that it's deafening. But then it's, like, this is what you want. Right. This is what this feels like to me. You get more of that. Yeah. So that's where I'll put it at. So the last question we're going to ask here is, would you recommend this film to anyone, Steve?
0: Again, I feel like with all canon films, I, I think I need to have a bearing on who the person is. Like, I'm not going to go, like, to my boss at work and be like, you know what you should watch this weekend, Death Wish 3. But, um... Friends of mine, yes. Like, uh, for instance, I, I know my wife. <laughs> like, she was like, What do you guys do for the show this week? I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to talk Death Wish 3. And she had that look in her face. I'm like, Don't worry. You don't have to watch it with me.
3: <laughs> so, like, well, that was Jen's reaction, too, when I told her, She was like, What movie did you pick? And I'm like, Death Wish 3. And she's like, Why? <laughs> Why
0: not? Right. Yeah. So, I feel like, um, I don't know, if it's somebody that I know, they're tasting movies or they're at least willing to. Sit down and watch something that's completely bonkers. I'll throw it out there to them. So I would re- recommend it to a certain subset, which I think is my answer for every one of these. Like but I don't I, think well, we're going to hit upon I don't, I don't one think that I'm that's like
2: wrong. I mean, you know, like, but it's not like
0: I'm going to be like, oh, it's it's the Rocky of canon films where like you know you can suggest Rocky to anyone and they'll well, appreciate. I'm going to argue. I
2: think the next one we're covering next month is Runaway Train, which okay. I would argue. Like, you can Hopefully recommend that to a lot of different... people. Oh, okay. definitely. That's a, that's a, that's, that's a good, that's legitimately a really great good film. I haven't you know? actually seen that yeah. one, so. I mean, as much as Eric Roberts has said it, it's a really good <laughs> film, but we'll talk about it, <laughs> you know, and a really young Day Trejo that looks exactly like Day Trejo is in that. <laughs> so, Rich, would you recommend this film to anybody? Um... Probably not. Um, <laughs> you recommend it to us, right? To talk about because you guys, you guys understand
3: where the movie's coming from. Yeah. If I were gonna, if like, if somebody was saying, you know, hey, I, I want to get more, you know, into '80s action movies, definitely. But I'd probably choose Invasion of the USA first. I'd probably choose like the Delta Force first. I'd probably choose the earlier Death Wishes first. Um, but if somebody wants to know canon films. I definitely recommend this one for that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree because like I'm carrying this book with me at work, and I'm sure people are looking at me like, "What's this?" Like, it's it's very much a book about like canon, and I, and I feel like this is like the thing that like most people probably wouldn't have an opinion about whatsoever. Right. But I feel like canon had such a big footprint and, or at least, say impact that. Even if you don't care about movies, you probably know who canon is in passing. Yeah, you've seen yeah. something and didn't yeah. note it. So this is one of those ones where I'd recommend, but I like if I like I told people, like, hey, you're coming to my place, we're watching Death Wish 3, but I want to probably talk for like three or four minutes before we watch it to set the stage right. for what it I've is. I've got a PowerPoint
3: presentation. Yeah, I have a, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Because like you know, I feel like you could watch this and join it on its own, but there's a certain, like, you know, like... you. There's a certain flavor to it that if you see how how serious the first film is treated right. by the same director, yeah. you know, like you're like, "Oh, okay." So, this one just blows my mind because there's a certain point like halfway through I'm like, "This is happening?" <laughs> like so <laughs> um it's a, it's a it's, certain kind of crazy It's so it,
3: left brain as compared to the rest it, of them. It's, it's not just...
2: the it's not the most like ridiculous action film I've seen. It's not the most like nonsensical action film I've seen, but there's a joy in just it is um there's this the point where you realize this movie doesn't care what you think. It's just going to do it. So I'd recommend it on that, but not right. to everybody. I'd recommend over the top to everybody I've I've known. I feel like that's a film that's actually approachable to everybody just yeah. because because it, it, it everybody at least knows good. about Rocky and you know yeah. it's just a step removed from that. That's that's fair. So all right. Um I think that's going to do it for our talk about uh Death Wish 3. So Rich, thank you for picking the well, film. This thank was Thank you for fun. having me. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so before we're out the door here, Steve, uh, I'll let you, it, you should talk to people out there listening to the show about how they can find us and you, and now you're going to talk about you first, and that's, that's better, because you do, you're more talented than me, so. Well, I don't yeah. want to
0: step on next you're week's the show. the one. <laughs> I don't want to step on next week's show but I will be absent uh, from, ne- from next week's show yeah, Steve's um, going to be dead to me after this so we're done um, so I will not be on uh, well, I'm going to hit him with a grenade launcher <laughs> he's going to be out the house um, but yeah uh, uh if you want to see me next weekend and you're like i didn't get him on invasion of the podcast and I, i'd like to see him in person you can find me at the retro invasion weekend in Westlake, ohio may 31st through june 2nd uh guests are joe bob briggs diane franklin robert kurtzman mark metcalf artist gary P- pullman pullin i keep saying pullman pullin and more uh ghoulish gary i think I I don't know why. I'm going to be glad, actually, when the show's over and I don't have to keep saying their names because I feel like I screw them up every week, Um, but uh, please come out and see the show. Support a local convention if you're in the Cleveland area. We don't get that many here in in Ohio. In the Cleveland area, we get Cinema Wasteland and Wizard World seem to be the two that we get yearly anymore, and... Uh, it's nice to have another show out there that uh, is going to cater to, uh, particularly fans of. If you're a fan of Deathwish Three, I'm sure you're going to find yeah, something that's true at, at uh, Retro Invasion Weekend that is going to tickle your fancy. So please come out, say hello to myself. Uh, Ryan will be there. I'll have uh, free Invasion of the Podcast stickers. Uh, Paul has uh, mentioned that he's going to be coming out, so. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, I want to be charging for those stickers at that point. So, <laughs> you know, I, be a, I a, might
3: be there on Saturday if you guys want to throw things at my head. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll the- say a lot more F bombs in person.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get a signature uh, signed F bomb, you're going <laughs> Yeah. And then
0: the, a month later is Dark X-Fest in Hudson, Ohio, June 29th through 30th. Uh, we'll be there as well. Guests are going to be Caroline Williams, Bill Johnson, uh, John Dugan, Dan Yeager, Felissa Rose, and more. Um, the big thing with that show is, is it's a lot of folks from Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. I've never met Caroline Jan- Caroline Williams. would like to. Um,
3: She's amazing. Yeah, he really is.
0: And uh, I'm I'm a big fan. I, I've gone on record that that's my favorite Texas Chainsaw movie is the second one. Come so. out and see us. Say hello. Uh, when it comes to mm-hmm. that show and, like I said, West, uh, the Westlake uh, Retro Invasion, please come out, support local shows, and uh, please come out and say hi. For- I, I keep begging. Like, please say hi to me. I'm oh, so no, lonely. No, no, no. Please say <laughs> hi to Steve.
2: Go buy his comic. Go buy some stickers. Go buy some buttons from him. Like, it's... He does good work. Like I am jealous of his ability to color things and Ryan's ability to draw things. Like you guys do good good stuff. Well, so, thank you. Yeah. Uh, that
0: was very nice of you to say and unprompted. But
2: yeah, he, he, he's, he's drawn an amazing Batman for me. Oh, <laughs> 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 oh there's. As, a... Ask him to draw the giggler. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> He's drawn a really great, like Cesar Romero style Joker for me. Like he's drawn, he's drawn a bird mascot for the other show that I do, which is so much fun. That I'm considering making a tattoo on my body. My first tattoo <laughs> is having Steve's work on my body for the rest of my life. So yes, come support him. Please. Do you want know to hear
0: the irony of that statement? Though is is that I don't have a that, tattoo because I always said I would design something if I was ever going to get a tattoo. I thought you were
2: going to be like, you, you heard the funny thing is I didn't draw that. <laughs> no, that's just that <laughs> was like, just clip art. Yeah, it's clip art. Like,
0: <laughs> no, like, I just I I drew that, but I uh, just googled bird smoking. And I just, <laughs> did, yeah. Uh, yeah. It would be great if that's now like in the search. Like if somebody does Google <laughs> bird smoking and that's the image. That would that pops be amazing.
2: Up. So yeah, uh, yeah, you can find Steve all those things. Come support him. Buy his book. It's 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 a great book. Uh, the science slasher. You don't know who the slasher is, but you know there's some slashing going on. Um, no Bronson though we don't know if there's any Bronson maybe there's, later there, there's not no. yet at least I'm, I'm sure there'll be a reference in his book at some point to a chicken in a can <laughs> I'll put him on the spot for that so yeah you can find us on Facebook or Invasion of the Podcast we have a website called InvasionThePodcast.com where I'm writing blogs also about different canon films I did fall behind I meant to write one before this episode so that is on me um, I hope to hit, get one out here for this Memorial Day weekend uh, watching I think Hard Rock Zombies is the film I'll be watching I am sure it will be a delight and not horrible at all, but I'll be writing about it. Yeah. Uh, Rich gives me the eh, thing. I found I found a YouTube <laughs> rip of it, so who knows? At least you didn't uh, have to pay for it. No, I, I did pay for Treasure of the Four Crowns, and it was part of a four pack. And I still don't feel like I got my money's worth.
0: <laughs> oh, I will say too, if uh, you're looking to watch Death Race, Death Race, <laughs> Death Wish Three, um, it is available right now on Prime. If you got a Prime, yeah, membership, the first, you can watch the first, it.
2: all of them, all the, of them, the, yeah. the first of the, the original Death Wish, all five of those are available, including on Prime. the uh, the
3: knockoff Death Kiss, which we never really talked about. Yeah, but go watch yeah. it; it's yeah.
2: great. Uh, so yeah um, um, but yeah you can find us on the, those mediums we uh, are also available on iTunes Stitcher Podbean wherever you get your podcasts find us rate and review us so that'd be great next week Steve will not be here and I'll be sad I'll be ripping my clothes into desperation but I'll have a friend on uh, a special guest we'll be talking I, I believe it's not been set in stone but it's like 95% sure we'll be taking a look at The Wicker Man the original 70s film that I have not seen and my one friend has not seen it as either either so it will be an interesting discussion digging into an iconic Folk horror film, especially after I've seen um, recently Apostle on Netflix and I've seen uh, uh, like The Witch. It's not it's folkish horror. It's more period horror. Like I feel like it'd be good to go back to like the granddaddy of a lot of that stuff. So it'll be it'll be good. I've not seen it. So that'll be next week. This week, again, thank you, Rich, for coming on the show and, and, and picking Death Wish 3. It gave me an opportunity to watch more Bronson. And uh, I still don't know how I feel about the series. But the third one was fun in a lot of ways that I question myself.
3: Well, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, all right. Uh, that's gonna do it for us this week. Next week, uh, The Wicker Man maybe.